Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind Good evening everyone, I'm Rick Walker. Welcome back to the Maverick News Channel. We have a lot a lot to share with you tonight. A huge show. So much going on. A special report tonight, a special interview, a couple of special interviews coming up. One with um, a woman who's going to talk to us about vaccine injuries, her personal story, and her experience with Canada's vaccine injury compensation program so we'll get into that and it is a heart-wrenching story and an important story a story that i think we will be hearing or it's a story that i think will repeat itself in similar ways with many other people in the months and years ahead and uh, what she's going to share with us tonight will, I think, maybe help some people. And in turn, we might be able to help her. So we'll have, we'll have her join us. And um, we also have a representative from Veterans for Freedom who will be joining us on the program briefly to tell us how they're involved and assisting as well. So we've got that. And then we have Alexei Navalny, Vladimir Putin's main political opponent who was thrown in jail. Perspectives on this vary, but he's dead. And uh, that gives should give us all pause Time to reflect a little bit. We're getting very different stories from opposite sides, which is not surprising given the adversarial relationship throughout history that the United States, the West, NATO countries have had with Russia, and not surprising given that we are, for all intents and purposes, at war with Russia today. Overlaying on top of all of that is the upcoming U.S. presidential election, a court ruling today involving Donald Trump, people who are involved with the Trump administration talking about the Navalny case, and strangely, I I find them defending Vladimir Putin, which also gives me pause. You can draw your own conclusions. We'll share some of the information with you here tonight as much as we can, and I encourage you all to dig into the story in a much deeper way, research it on all sides, and maybe you'll get a little bit closer to the truth, something that is in short supply 
these days. It is the convoy, Freedom Convoy, anniversary weekend, and people from far and wide are on their way to Canada's capital if they haven't already arrived in Ottawa. And we have a news conference coming up that we will share with you involving a couple of key convoy figures. And in addition to that, Joe Biden will not only offer comments on the Navalny death, he will also talk about, well, we're going to take you to East Palestine, Ohio, on the anniversary of that uh, train derailment and fire that spewed toxic chemicals into the atmosphere and fallout all over the community there. And here we are, like a year later, Biden finally shows up. It was kind of a strange day. We'll show you the protest there that was waiting for him as he arrived for his photo op a year later. Stay with me. There's a lot to share with you tonight. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. So first up tonight, Alexei Navalny, he, uh, he was a Vladimir Putin's main political opponent. Reports are that there are reports that there were attempts to poison him at least twice. 
very got very sick from it, almost died a couple of times, survived. And then he was arrested. He uh, this is just off all just all from the top of my head. He was arrested, thrown in jail, disappeared for a while in jail, couldn't be accounted for. And then was recently surfaced in a, in a far north Arctic prison. And uh, tonight he's dead. He was in this Arctic Circle jail, and he's dead. He was arguably uh, Vladimir Putin's most vocal and prominent critic. He was serving at least 19 years in prison on charges of extremism that uh, were politically motivated. I've seen... I'm not sure about the, the, the sentencing because there have been many reports with different numbers. I've seen that uh, he may have been sentenced to as much as 30 years, but uh, 19 at a minimum. So the prison service in Russia, from the district where he was being held, says that uh, overnight he was feeling unwell and went for a walk and then for whatever reason lost consciousness according to the Russians and an emergency medical team was called in they say they tried to resuscitate him had no success and he died they say they are working to determine the cause of death Already we are seeing lineups of people in Moscow laying flowers at a monument to victims of political repression. Prosecutors uh, are warning Russians not to join any mass protests in the streets and have already affected uh, some arrests as a result of Navalny's death. He was 47 years old, and it was only a day before his death, just yesterday, well, I guess about a day and a half ago now, that he was seen alive and well. He was uh, making an appearance in court, and now he's dead. Of course, what we're seeing here in the West is finger-pointing accusations. That uh, Vladimir Putin may have had something to do with Navalny's death. That uh, accusations that he was um, maybe killed, murdered. Politics, as they say, is a blood sport. And we will be hearing more about that later tonight because 
everything we are talking about tonight, I think pretty much is steeped in politics. Here is Joe Biden addressing Navalny's death today. Here we go. Let's pick up Joe Biden at the White House. At the moment, but I wanted to say a few things this morning about uh, reported death of Alexei. Bravely stood up. Uh, the corruption, the violence, and the, the, all the all the bad things that the Putin government was doing. In response, Putin had him poisoned. He had him arrested. He had him prosecuted for fabricated crimes. He sentenced him to prison. He was held in isolation. Even all that didn't stop him from calling out Putin's lies. Even in prison, he was a powerful voice for the truth, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. And he could have lived safely in exile after the assassination attempt on him in 2020, which nearly killed him, I might add. And but he uh, he was traveling to the country at the time and said he returned to Russia, returned to Russia, knowing he'd likely be imprisoned or even killed if he continued his work. But he did it anyway because he believed so deeply in his country, in Russia. Reports of his death, if they're true, and I have no reason to believe they're not, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world. Putin does not only target his citizens of other countries, as we've seen what's going on in Ukraine right now. He also inflicts terrible crimes on his own people. And as people across Russia and around the world are mourning Navalny today because he was so many things that Putin was not. He was brave. He was principled. He was dedicated to building a Russia where the rule of law existed and where it applied to everybody. Navalny believed in that Russia, that Russia. He knew it was a cause worth fighting for, and obviously even dying for. This tragedy reminds us of the stakes of this moment. We have to provide the funding so Ukraine can keep defending itself against Putin's vicious onslaughts and war crimes. You know, there was a bipartisan Senate vote that passed overwhelmingly in the United States Senate to fund Ukraine. Now, as I've said before, and I mean this in a literal sense, history is watching. History is watching the House of Representatives. The failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. It's going to go down in the pages of history. It really is. It's consequential. And the clock is ticking. And this has to happen. We have to help now. You know, we have to realize what we're dealing with with Putin. All of us should reject the dangerous statements made by the previous president that invited Russia to invade our NATO allies if they weren't paying up. He said if an ally did not pay their dues, he'd encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want. I guess I should clear my mind here a little bit and not say what I'm really thinking, but let me be clear. 
This is an outrageous thing for a president to say. I can't fathom, can't fathom. From Truman on, they're rolling over in their graves here in this. As long as I'm president, America stands by our sacred commitment to our NATO allies, as they have stood by their commitments to us repeatedly. Putin and the whole world should know, if any adversary were to attack us, our NATO allies would back us. And if Putin were to attack a NATO ally, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory. Now's the time for even greater unity among our NATO allies. To stand up to the threat that Putin's Russia poses. You know, I send my deepest condolences to Alexei's staff and supporters. We're going to continue his work despite this loss, despite all of Putin's desperate attempts to stamp out the opposition, and most of all to his family, especially to his wife, his daughter, and his son, who've already sacrificed so much for their family and a shared dream for a better future for Russia. So I just want to say God bless Alexei Navalny. His courage will not be forgotten, and I'm sure it will not be the only courage we see coming out of Russia in the near term. Thank you. I'll be happy to take a couple questions. Sir, first, was this an assassination? The answer is I, we don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something that Putin and his, and his thugs did. And to be clear, you warned Vladimir Putin when you were in Geneva of devastating consequences if Navalny died in Russian custody. What consequences should he and Russia face? That was three years ago. In the meantime, they faced a hell of a lot of consequences. They've lost and or had wounded over 350,000 Russian soldiers. They've made them in a position where they've been subjected to great sanctions across the board, and we're contemplating what else could be done. But the, the, what we were talking about at the time, there were no actions being taken against Russia. And that's look all that's transpired since then. Are you looking at increasing sanctions on Russia right now? We're looking at a whole number of options. That's all I'll say right now. Is there anything you can do to get ammunition to the Ukrainians without a supplemental from Congress? No, but it's about time they step up, don't you think? Instead of going on a two-week vacation? Two weeks! They're walking away. Two weeks! What are they thinking? My God! This is bizarre, and it's just reinforcing all the concern and, and, and almost, I won't say panic, but real concern about the United States being a reliable ally. This is outrageous. Are you more confident now that you'll get the Ukraine aid, given what's happened today? Well, I hope to God it helps. But, I mean, the idea we need anything more to get the Ukraine aid, I mean, I mean this is— in light of a former president's statement that saying Russia, if, if they haven't paid their dues to us, go get them. Come on. What are these guys doing? What are they doing? Sir, how concerned are you about the anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing? And what is your administration planning to do in response? First of all, there is no nuclear threat to the people of America or anywhere else in the world with what Russia is doing at the moment, number one. Number two, anything that they're doing and or they will do relates to satellites and space and damaging those satellites, potentially. Number three, I, there is no evidence that they have made a decision to go forward with doing anything in space either. So what we found out, there was a capacity to launch 
a system in the space that could theoretically do something that was damaging. Hadn't happened yet, and uh, my expect I, my hope is it will not. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, switching gears for a moment, have the Israelis presented a credible evacuation plan for the nearly 1.5 million displaced Palestinians sheltering in Rafah? And what would the consequences be for Israel if they move ahead with a full-scale ground invasion without clear measures to protect civilians there? Well, first of all, I've had extensive conversations with the Prime Minister of Israel over the last several days, almost an hour each. And uh, I've made the case, and I feel very strongly about it, that there has to be a, uh, a temporary ceasefire to get the prisoners out, to get the hostages out. And that is underway. I'm still hopeful that that can be done. And in the meantime, uh, I don't anticipate, I'm hoping, that uh, you, that the uh, Israelis will not make any massive land invasion in the meantime. Um, so it's my expectation that's not going to happen. There has to be a ceasefire temporarily to get those hostages. By the way, there are we're, we're in a situation where there are American hostages, American citizens are being held hostage. It's not just not just Israelis. It's American hostages as well, and uh, you know. Uh, my hope and expectation is that we'll get this hostage deal, we'll bring the Americans home, and the deal is being negotiated now, and uh, we're going to see where it takes us. The center of the impeachment inquiry into you has been indicted for allegedly lying. Your reaction to that, and should the inquiry be dropped? He is lying, and it should be dropped. And it's just been a, it's been an outrageous effort from the beginning. And we did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See you in Ohio. All right. He said he'd clear his mind. His mind was already cleared. He clearly had lost his train of thought, and his mind was obviously empty at that moment. And then asked what he's going to do about this situation with Navalny. He, he won't do a thing. He'll do nothing. That was clear. Empty talk. Rhetoric. A threat made some time ago. Another line in the sand that may have been crossed and... If it was, Biden will do nothing. Idle threats. The situation with Navalny making international headlines, your perspective on it would depend on your politics and who you choose to believe, I suppose. In Canada, the leader of the New Democratic Party, Jagmeet Singh, weighed in on this subject. Here's what uh, he had to say today about the Navalny death. In passing of Alexei Navalny, 
this is a reminder to us of who Putin is. The fact that Navalny, a pro-democracy advocate, an opposition to the leader, was poisoned and then imprisoned and now is dead reminds us of how important it is for us to stand with the people of Ukraine to support Ukraine against the illegal invasion and war brought on by Putin. And it reminds us that all politicians should stand united in this fight. I'll do that in French and then I'll look forward to your questions. Okay. <clears throat> so that was Jagmeet Singh on the Navalny death. Now, this was interesting. This video was posted by George Papadopoulos. Do you remember that name? This I thought was very interesting. George Papadopoulos on his X account, formerly known as Twitter, posts this, and we have the video here. This is um, an undercover video that was shot of Navalny with the accusation that he was conversing with William Thomas Ford, trying to negotiate or beg for, I guess, 10 to $20 million a year to support his political opposition to Vladimir Putin. William Tom, James William Thomas Ford is an MI6 officer. And there are other allegations that Navalny was also speaking with the CIA about organizing what you would call a color revolution, which is a government campaign to destabilize and then overthrow, destabilize a country and overthrow a government with mass demonstrations as the focal point for that in the streets. We have seen that kind of thing happen. And from the Russian perspective, that is what happened in Ukraine in 2014. At least that's the story we're told. Now, here's this video. And for it to come out today, yeah, you know, the, the reason would be to undermine sympathy for Navalny and prop up support or try to generate public support for Putin and the uh, and the Russian government. Here's the video undercover. This is what led to Navalny's arrest, I believe, where he was charged essentially with uh, treason and attempting to organize an overthrow of the Russian government. Here it is with subtitles below. Would be, we would expand our activities, of course, with uh, a little money. If somebody would spend, I don't know, 10, 20 million dollars a year on supporting this, we would see quite different picture. And this is, uh, you know, not a big amounts of money for people who have billions at stake in this game. 
We were talking about this on our program the other day and pointing out the fact that a crime is a crime if you are working or planning the overthrow of a government and you're not in charge, that could be viewed as treason. Keep that in mind moving forward, folks. <laughs> if you have any ideas of anything, um, you know, then it becomes a question, I think, for people of, well, is it justified? And some people would support mass protests against a, any given a given government, depending on the circumstances. Other people would be opposed to it. But if you're Vladimir Putin and somebody is planning mass demonstrations to destabilize and then ultimately evict you from power, well, then I guess you take steps to, to protect your government and protect yourself. Now, that being said, Navalny is a political opponent. Uh, what, was he, what was he talking about there? Mass protests? Is protesting illegal? In Russia, it may be. I don't, I'm not an expert on Russian law. At what point do protests cross the line and become treasonous? And even if you are trying to disrupt and overthrow a government, uh, should you be killed? You're a political opponent at that point. Again, it depends on your perspective, doesn't it? One man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. And in this case, Navalny fits into both categories depending on somebody's perspective. A hero in the West to some, a villain and a treasonous Russian to others. And Papadopoulos himself, uh, do you remember who he was or who he is? This is a guy who went to jail for a while because of his... Um, involvement with the Trump campaign and then accusations that he had deceived the FBI, feeding them allegedly and had proven in court, I guess, that he was uh, giving them misleading information about uh, the, the, the depth of his contacts with Russia and Russian officials. George Papadopoulos, he was at the very center and beginning, at the very beginning of the Russia collusion narrative that was spun up. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, Russia, 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 it's a hoax, hoax, hoax. I get it. 
But when I see this stuff going down, and then I see the reactions that we're getting today, I'm, I have to say, I'm kind of left scratching my head and lifting an eyebrow. Sometimes it isn't what is said, it's what isn't said that tells you the most. For often, a person speaks volumes with their silence. And tonight, Donald Trump hasn't said, has said nothing about this. He has remained completely silent on the Navalny death. While a number of conservative or freedom-oriented or MAGA-base media influencers and journalists have come out with comments that I would say are, I don't know how to read them exactly. They're, they're, they're carefully crafted, I'll put it that way, to make it uh, pro-Trump, maybe, but not entirely supportive of Navalny. It's, it's kind of a mixed bag, I guess, but I wouldn't say it's in line with what Biden was saying at all. Um, yeah, Trump hasn't said, has said nothing about it so far. Who knows, maybe he will. But frankly, given everything that's been going on, I'm not surprised. And then today, Trump was fined $330 million, 336 or something like that, in a, in a New York court. And he's been barred from conducting business for three years in New York. His sons, his two sons, also in the ruling, are now prohibited from holding executive positions in any corporation or business entity in New York for two years. So they can't run their family business up there. Um, they have to have other people run their affairs for them in that jurisdiction. And this all goes back to the business lawsuits against Trump and his taxation issues, which are connected to the allegations that he was exaggerating the, uh, the value of his assets in order to get more favorable loan terms. And the judge ruled against Trump harshly. And I don't care how rich you are, say you are, a penalty of $336 million, I believe it was today. And again, I'm, I don't have the notes right in front of me. Um, <clears throat> forgive me if I'm getting the figure off just a little bit, but it's pretty. I'm pretty much close on the money. That kind of cash, that's got to hurt. That has got to hurt. How much of this is just political window dressing? Can't really say at this point. I am definitely getting the sense, though, as maybe you are as well at this point, that all of this still ties back to Russia insofar as I think the, uh, the Biden administration, the 
lettered agencies in the United States. I think they see Trump as being connected to Russia in some way, or that at least Russia is supporting him. In spite of Putin coming out a couple of days ago saying that he would prefer Biden to be the president instead of Donald Trump saying that Biden is more predictable and then kind of smiling while he said it. I don't believe that. I I don't think Vladimir Putin wants Biden to be president. I think he wants Trump to be the president because I think he knows that Donald Trump will be a more peaceful president. He will not, he'll, he'll probably end that war in Ukraine. And the irony here is that Trump stood up at his last speech and said that, uh, accused Biden of essentially giving Ukraine to Putin, which is, and then said that that's why Putin came out to say that he actually supports Trump. And yet I think it's probably the other way around. It's like reverse psychology for the public. And yet it's so shadowy and there's so much going on behind the scenes that we just don't know. Then even though this stuff is being said, we just don't know. But if you read between the lines and all of these things, stand back, get the, uh, the aerial view you can start to sort of put things together. And I'm not saying that the Russians are colluding with Donald Trump, but what I do think is I think that, uh, I think that maybe from a distance and maybe even without Trump having any knowledge of it, I think that they are nudging and helping matters along. And here in Canada as well, honestly, I think a bunch of countries have their fingers into our politics, including China as well, and probably in an even bigger way. And so other online influencers have sort of chimed in on this stuff. Jack Posobiec posted saying, Democrats and their media allies have cheered the lockup of their political opponents for years, comparing the Navalny imprisonment and now death to what is being done to Trump in the United States. He added, quote, now they want to act morally outraged without looking in the mirror. And then uh, media on the opposite side uh, accuse Posobiec of pushing pro-Kremlin propaganda. Molly Hemingway of The Federalist today posted, quote, while Democrats continue to pursue the imprisonment of their top political opponent, the death of 47-year-old Putin opponent Navalny in prison in Russia is a grim reminder of how evil the strategy is. I guess you can assess the motivations behind these statements for yourself. Tom Fitton of, uh, what's the name of his organization? The, uh, the legal the legal group judicial I can't remember the name of his group um, they get involved in a lot of uh, constitutional issues 
Um, he said, more difficult for the Biden administration to criticize Putin on Navalny as Biden's DOJ and party politicians are trying to jail his opponent Trump and Republican Party leaders and activists across the country with unprecedented abusive and anti-constitutional prosecutions. Laura Loomer compared Navalny's imprisonment with the investigations and prosecutions of people involved in the January 6th riot or demonstration, whatever you want to call it. Depends, again, on your political perspective. Dinesh D'Souza, who has done some pretty incredible work as not just a journalist, but also uh, an investigator looking into the last election. I'm sure you're, you're all familiar with his work. He said today, quote, I'm quite amused at all the outrage over Navalny. Putin wanted to make sure his leading opponent died in prison. Isn't that exactly what the Biden regime is trying to do here? To the cheers of the same people expressing indignation over Putin's authoritarianism? And I think that he has an absolutely valid point. What moral authority does Joe Biden stand on as he sits there and accuses Vladimir Putin of anything when he has a bunch of people in jail because of the J6 incident. That's the problem with the current regimes in Canada and the United States, both the ruling Trudeau liberals supported by the NDP and in the states, the Biden administration. <laughs> people have lost confidence and trust. And when they speak, people roll their eyes and simply don't believe or accept their information or their opinions. And so it goes on. But Trump, yeah, interestingly, silent on this issue tonight. <clears throat> now, what do I think? Do you care? Does it matter? I think it's pretty evident what has happened here. I don't, I think the, uh, the thing to, I think that the proper perspective on this is that you have people in charge of countries who get to play by a whole different set of rules. If you or I kill someone, we go to jail. If you're the ruler of a large country, if you're the ruler or the president of a superpower, you get to wake up in the morning and decide who lives and who dies. Will you drop the bombs here, drop the bombs there? Or, not, or, or maybe decide to not drop any bombs today. That's why presidents honestly do have immunity and why the law does not apply to everyone, at least not in the same way. Presidents, rulers of countries, get to play by a whole different set of rules. 
And it is interesting, isn't it, to see how many of Vladimir Putin's opponents aren't around anymore? So are those accusations leveled at Putin fair? I don't know how far I want to go with my statements. I will say this. Here in Canada, you could say that we, we've had some political prisoners in jail, but they're not dead. At least there's that. It isn't quite the same here as it is over there. And isn't it interesting as well what questions Tucker Carlson didn't ask when he was in Moscow? I took note. What subjects did Tucker Carlson not breach? He didn't ask about Navalny. There were other subjects, too, that were, would have touched a nerve. He chose to stay away from them. And I don't know what rules, maybe, uh, what ground rules he was facing as he went into that interview. None of us will ever know for sure. I don't expect, if there were any. And I think there probably were. It was pretty clear to me that Vladimir Putin knew what was coming because he had those documents in hand and ready to hand over to Tucker Carlson those historical documents, the copies, laying out a, an international legal argument for Putin's justification for, for saying that Ukraine is part of Russia. Yeah. Geographically and otherwise. Historically. Anyway, I digress. Assassinations. Who do you believe? Who? And, and it depends on your perspective. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We have a lot of other news to cover uh, before we get into really what will be our top story of the night, I think, which is the, um, the interview that we have coming up with Kayla Pollock. Um, was going to talk to us about her experience with the vaccine injury compensation plan in Canada and her personal story will I don't know it, it, it'll it'll rattle you it it might it's 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 definitely gonna Evoke emotion. I'll be right back. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. 
We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. So before we get into this story with uh, Kayla Pollock, um, we're going to take you to Ottawa. Can you believe it's been two years since the Freedom Convoy rolled into the nation's capital with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people taking to the streets there to protest the pandemic, lockdowns, mask mandates, vaccination mandates, two years. In some ways it seems like yesterday, in other ways it seems like it was so long ago. And I think maybe it's a little too easy to forget what was done to us by Justin Trudeau, the ruling class, the elites, the liberals, the NDP, and the conservatives. All of them, the Bloc, the Green Party, all of them. Fear gripped them just as it gripped us, at least the members of Parliament. That's what brought the truckers out, the mandates, the authoritarianism. And then we saw the use of the Emergencies Act, the War Measures Act, renamed as the Prime Minister basically declared war on his own people who were out in front of the Parliament buildings protesting and asking for his attention so they could have a conversation that never came. But the police did, as we all know, at the direction of the government, as Justin Trudeau unconstitutionally now so ruled by a court of law, used that Emergencies Act, put it into motion, and on that day when the EA Act was invoked, I said that Canada died at that moment. And indeed, I have not been able to, uh, I haven't been able to recognize the country that I'd known ever since. It's essentially been transformed. And so I sit in this chair and you watch in our digital community and together nightly we seek a path back to what once was. Something hopefully maybe better. A path back to freedom. Well, today in Parliament, two freedom fighters, two members of the convoy, held a news conference. And some of the mainstream media actually did show up, which surprised me. We have uh, 
We're going to take you to Ottawa now and pick up what they have to say at the, uh, at the Parliament buildings. You'll recognize these guys, I think, especially Chris Dacey, who has become a very prominent media figure, a regular there on Wellington Street in the nation's capital, chasing those politicians down and asking the tough questions day in, day out, and working beyond that, of course. Let's pick up this news conference. Here we go. It bapped Ottawa. Fortunately, they can get in on time. Uh, but just also, too, I don't know, sir, if, if the press is related. Anniversary. We're obviously with the freedom movement. And, Convoy um, in Ottawa One thing in particular, um, if I was to have, say, maybe a red maple leaf on and freedom across that, I would not be able to enter the building. So that's just, um, just a note. And it does cause quite a bit of delays for freedom fighters, for example, if they wanted to just simply come in and watch Parliament. But really why I'm here is we're all well aware of the ruling by Justice Mosley in relation to the Emergency Act, which was called upon by the Trudeau government. Now, it was quite stated that it was unjustified and unconstitutional. Now, being amongst the, the freedom movement, obviously people ask and they say that was a great victory. Um, you guys must be happy for this. But I must say, no, no, it's a, it's a hollow victory for us. And it's a hollow victory for us because of what had, had occurred. People's lives have been disrupted, maybe changed forever. Charges, loss of income, loss of jobs, all for their right to fight for the freedoms that we have in this country. However, it did note one important thing, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to be here uh, to address this. It exposed this ruling, exposed uh, the lies, falsehood, and myths, truths that accompanied two years ago while we were here in Ottawa protesting. Everything from breaking into stores to arson, it was all proven that it never happened. They were all falsehoods. Uh, many MPs stated these were concerns, stated that somehow people practicing their rights um, under our charter and under our our freedom of rights was some sort of a threat to this country. And many MPs on the Liberal side perpetuated these lies. We have still not had an apology for those lies uh, from any MP, any MP in the government. Uh, um, I do not want to speak for groups within the freedom movement that have started litigation processes, but there are litigation processes underway right now. Um, so I won't speak any further to that, but there has. Um, ideally, an apology from the, from the government uh, would help in, in matter. But what happened was, and what is extremely disturbing on a historical, on a historical presence, I believe Canada itself 
changed very dramatically on that last day, two years ago on the 17th. Because what had occurred is we had our ruling government weaponize police officers, weaponize the establishment, and weaponize the, <clears throat> the justice system against its own people. Now, these were people that our Prime Minister labeled many words, called them a threat, said we couldn't go on trains, said we couldn't fly, all because we challenged and we wanted basically our own health. We weren't willing to take something that was really experimental. And the evidence that has come up, although it's being pushed down, will eventually prove to that point that we were correct. But really, I really want to stick to the, to the message that our police were weaponized, our justice system were weaponized against our people. And historically, historically, that has not done very well for companies when a leader against a group he disagrees with in the country, uses violence to suppress them as a very slippery slope. Now, I do also want to salute to all those that were involved in the original convoy for their bravery and their foresight. That foresight, they realized what is happening. They realized that we have a government in place that is really ideologically driven. They do have term, um, I will use this word tyranny because I believe someone in the media said that our main goal right now is to fight tyranny. But if tyranny is, and, and quite simple, there are several bills uh, that are going to restrict freedom of speech in this country. Uh, we have people in parliament wanting just simply a, a law in place of anyone that supports our oil industry to be in jail for two years. That this is the type of ideological thinking that's causing extreme divisions in this country. Um, I can't remember in our history, and uh, other besides uh, the senior, uh, where the government has basically waged war on one of the provinces in this country without negotiation. And it has been um, shown that there is negotiation. Leaders should be pragmatic. We don't have anything from, the, from this government stating that they're going to be any sort of, at, have any sort of pragmatism uh, towards any opposing views in this country, uh, regardless whether it infringes upon our rights as well. So, again, uh, across this country, there will be many events. Uh, these are not celebrations, but other, more for remembrance of what occurred on the 17th. There's several events in, in the city, uh, in the province and across the country, one of which is in Ottawa. Uh, so I'm going to have uh, my colleague Daisy just kind of describe what's happening tomorrow, uh, give his thoughts on the original convoy as well, and then I will uh, move into some other matters afterwards. Hey, uh, Chris Dacey. So um, I was uh, at the original convoy the entire time. Um, I'm a resident of Ottawa. I've lived in Ottawa my whole life. And uh, I've been here, I guess, uh, pretty much around the hill or part of the group that's been come to known as the, uh, the Wellington Street regulars. I've been here for, uh, for the whole time since. So anywho, this weekend we're, uh, we're uh, planning a, I guess a commemoration is probably the best way to put it. Um, we didn't uh, choose the weekend and, uh, and the date by accident. This is the time that the Emergency Act was invoked. And, uh, you know, I was there and, and a lot of us were present for, for, uh, for the brutal clear out here in Ottawa. 
So um, we're going to remember that. We're going to get together and, uh, and network, and we've got some, some fun stuff planned as well. So um, we're going to have uh, speakers. We're going to have a march around town. Um, that's all been coordinated with the Ottawa police, so everything should be uh, should be should go off without a hitch. I'm hoping, and uh, we're gonna have music speakers and uh, just try to have an all-around good time. So um, it's important that we remember what happened with the Emergencies Act, but we also want to remember the hope and the love and and all the good things that came with the convoy as well. So that's uh, what we have planned for the weekend. Good. Yep. Uh, so just one other section that that I did want to promise is is what's going to be the future of of the freedom movement as it is. Um, and, and there's some new voices. Uh, but first, I just kind of wanted to stress again that original convoy, the freedom movement, and it's been so much misconstrued uh, throughout the media and uh, just throughout the general public. Um, we are a very peaceful movement. We believe in no violence at all. Um, we are a mix of all Canadians, Canadians that were born here, Canadians that have fled other countries, um, just in my small little group alone, we, we speak six languages. I have people that were born in different countries that have come here to Canada that have seen and what's happening in, in terms of the loss of our and the threats of our freedoms. Going back to the how I want to pray, uh, preference this way is, is again to congratulate those that started the original convoy uh, to illustrate this to the general public. But where we are right now, and this, I'm truly reaching out to the general public, regardless of who you are, where you're from, that the freedom movement is actually for yourselves. Uh, we are in a very difficult time in this country. I don't believe uh, Canada has ever been in worse economic conditions that we have right now. Um, we have a laundry list of corruption, alleged theft, uh, alleged billions missing. Uh, the list goes on and on. Um, inquiries cancelled, non-cooperation in inquiries. Um, the, the list goes on and on. So as a people, there's no accountability. Uh, good, good governance and ethics has certainly left this government as it stands right now. Uh, there's none of it. Um, good governance and ethics are a part, are, are, are part of their description, and none of it I see at all. Um, Basically, secrets. There's some secrets in the government are repugnant. There should not be any. We have no accountability, and this is why I'm reaching out to our people of this country. There's many things still ahead, as I mentioned: censorship bills, um, uh, the the signing with the uh, World Health Organization of uh, the pandemic treaty which gives our health sovereignty away. There's been no discussion on this. Uh, it has to be researched. This is forthcoming pending. Um, our Prime Minister also wanted to add climate change in, into health. Uh, where's the rationale? Where's the science? Where, where is anything to uh, relate that? We, obviously, in, in terms of initiatives, there's many of us within the freedom movement uh, some of them, which will be here today uh, to present them. I will forward them off to you, their, their initiatives. But most of the initiatives are, even from a municipal level, people getting in, engaged. How are, we, how are we going to operate? How are we going to have responsible government? The government 
right now has basically lost the, the, the reasoning that they actually work for us. This building that we in is ours. The parliament that they're in is ours. They're supposed to listen to us. They do not listen to us. Uh, they're staying focused on their own ideology and putting that through. Um, because of that, going into a new election, of course, there's going to be a swing uh, as it looks. But this is an excellent opportunity for us to reach out to the general public, for all our citizens, to realize and to make sure that this corruption, this unaccountability in government doesn't exist. So how do we go about that? Well, there's several options. There's several things within the movement in which we need our citizens to come work with us on. Basically, I, I, ideally, uh, the Senate that we have, we need an independent Senate, an electable Senate. Uh, we have to have revisions of the Privy Council. We may also have to have revisions of the Crown. Do we still want to have a Crown system? Do we still want to have a parliamentary-based democracy, which we have right now? If this is what results in a government so corrupt and so dysfunctional as we have now. Um, so like I said, I will forward those initiatives that we have in the group. There's many groups. And I'm passionately reaching out to the general community. We are not thugs. We are not terrorists. We are not racists, as we're coined in, in many places. We are you. We come from several walks of life. We have everything from welders to truck drivers to cooks to actually members of police enforcement to members of the, of the judiciary to politicians as well. So we are not a, a, a radical fringe or anything like that. We are free citizens. We are free citizens that have seen the change in our government over the last year, realize where it's heading, and that our freedoms are threatened. Um, and that's it. So I will. Again, I'd mentioned there are several initiatives from some of the panelists that were going to be here today. I will make sure that I reveal them um, going forward. Um, and any questions from the media as it stands now? More about what time is weekend, specifically when? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, so tomorrow, Saturday, the 17th, um, starting at 11 a.m., uh, there's a permit issued on Parliament Hill. So most of our activities will be on Parliament Hill. That begins at 11. There's some music. Um, we're hoping to have speeches around probably noon. And then the, uh, the planned march is at 2 p.m. So we've uh, been working with uh, Ottawa Police to figure out a, a route for that. There are some other things going on in the city. Um, it's the final weekend of Winterlude this weekend, and there's also some other planned protests. So. The, uh, the prey or the march route isn't exactly finalized yet, but we're working with Ottawa Police to make sure that that's, uh, that's going to go off okay. And then uh, we're back to the hill after the march till about 5 o'clock, probably. What can you tell us? What can you tell us what speakers, Stacey? Um, I don't, uh, don't want to put out a list of speakers just yet. We're still waiting on a few confirmations, but there should be quite a few. And uh, some of the people will be the people that, uh, that, that are doing different initiatives. So there's people that are uh, working uh, in their local communities and doing... Uh, doing different things to attack this problem that we're all facing and uh, many of those people will be speaking and then uh, there'll probably be time for an open mic too and to meet some people afterwards if if people are so inclined. Are you expecting to have a lot of people and if you speak French, if you can answer in French? Um, <laughs> I do speak a little French. Yeah, yeah, English is a little easier for me. Um, it's, hard, I, it's hard to put a number on these things. I, I wouldn't say it's going to be in the many thousands, but uh, if there's, you know, a few hundred, I, that wouldn't surprise me. Really expecting from out of town, and can you address um, the notion of whether or not this is a vehicle-based protest? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there was some messaging that came out uh, earlier today. I, I believe uh, CPC maybe um, 
So, um, th no, there's not expected to be any kind of vehicle protest of any sort. There are a group of people coming from southern Ontario um, that will be traveling together, and they've collected some donations for a local church. Um, so they'll be coming into town together, dropping off those donations to uh, Capital City Bikers Church. Um, they run a free store out of there that does a lot of work in the Vanier community. It's a community that really struggles and, and needs a lot of support. So the people that are coming in with vehicles are, are going to bring those donations to the church, and then everyone will just make their way downtown on their own. But uh, not expecting any kind of vehicle or, uh, or stuff like that, a vehicle-related protest of any sort. We'll now take uh, questions from Zoom. If you have a question, please use raise hand function. Monsieur Lili, you have the floor. One question, one follow-up. Hi, this is uh, Shalili Lili from uh, This is for the first speaker, the gentleman in the headband. I apologize if I missed this, but can we get your name and how it's spelled? Yes, it's uh, D-E-R-E-K. Oh, sorry, sorry, your full name. Oh, yeah, D-E-R-E-K-N-O-O-N-A-N. Thank you very much for that. And as a follow-up, relating to Saturday's protest, yes. have you gotten any clearance from police or any coordination with police in relation to the use of loudspeakers or horns? Because I know that was an issue two years ago, and it has been an issue with more recent Palestinian protests in Ottawa. Well, I, I can speak yeah, to, you can speak to that. You have yeah, so um, as, as far as uh, with the city of Ottawa, there is a, a general rule that no amplification devices are allowed. Um, we've been kind of sticking to that rule as much as possible. Our uh, event is going to be on Parliament Hill where we do have a uh, permit. So we, we have uh, a permit to use amplification equipment, sound equipment, that sort of thing on Parliament Hill. As far as off Parliament Hill, I think the general rule should apply. No megaphones, no, uh, no amplification devices, but uh, you'd have to check with bylaw and Ottawa police to be certain on that. What's your message to Ottawa residents who don't like the convoy? I mean, I, I would recommend that, that they come out and try to talk to some of the people that are going to be around. Um, we don't bite. We're happy to talk. And like Derek said, we're, we're trying to reach out and, and talk to as many Canadians as possible. So um, if people have concerns, you know, come talk to someone. I think that's the best way to start. And you said you want to reach the general public. Um, how do you plan on doing that? Well, start, starting with this, I guess. Definitely. There, there are several things we like to reach out to the general public is, is um, their, their understanding of the issues that are handed within the government in terms of uh, the, the alleged corruption, the alleged theft. Are they happy with the way government is behaving? Uh, there's no accountability, uh, no disclosure of, of actually what's occurring on, on several matters. Um, and the biggest thing is 65% of this country has less than $500 left over at the end of the month. Now, the government that's in play right now has basically come out and said that they're for the middle class. So if they're for the middle class, I ask the general public, having less than $500 left over at the end of the month, is that a government for you? Is it a government for you that has more increased taxes on April 1st? Is this a government for you in which um, they've, are not, um, they're proceeding with uh, censorship bills that are down the uh, that are down lead. Is this a government for you that priorities are constantly shifting? Um, is it, it? Do I see any priorities for housing veterans? 
do I see any priorities for fixing the housing on First Nations? We're still waiting after eight years uh, for clean water on First Nations lands. So these are types of things that we talk about. The poverty, how are our children being educated in school? These are several issues that we want to reach out to the community. And I know there's concerns. The poverty is increasing, homelessness is increasing. You're seeing in uh, like the small town of Brockville, small town of Brockville, on one day, on one day, 12 people died from overdoses within two hours from fentanyl? Is that the country I'm asking the citizens? Is this the country you want to live in? Is it? Where you can't trust the government? Where we're seeing theft, we can't get answers to past corruption? There's taxes and taxes in our future. Is this what we want to live in? Do we want to live in this division as well? Do we want to live in a country where one province is somehow wrong? The, the one province that has fed this whole nation for quite some time, we can't negotiate. Do we want to live in, in a country where arbitrarily a minister comes out and says, I'm not making roads anymore? When we need roads to First Nations in the north, at least, when we have crumbling infrastructure in our cities now, all, all in the name of ideology, all unproven? So these are the things I'm reaching out to the general public. I know they're feeling the same thing. And it will take collectively all of us to change it. It will take collectively all of us to make the government aware that they're accountable to us. They don't rule us. They're accountable to us. So these are the types of things that I'd be love to speak to any citizen of. Expecting to receive any support from MPs? I, I, I can answer that. Um, yes, so there, there has been several MPs that have uh, spoken, out, uh, spoken out harshly on, on the use of the Emergency Act. Um, that, that really, according to Justice Mosley, there really wasn't any basis for it at all. Uh, so I do appreciate those MPs speaking out on that. Um, I'm hoping that they will be in attendance uh, tomorrow as well. Um, I did give some overtures. Uh, we'll see if they, if they come. Uh, well, um, uh, primarily the Conservative Party has been the only party that has come out against the, the use of the Emergency Act. Um, me personally, I, I, won't mention, I won't mention their names, but I, I have had some very good conversations with uh, members of the NDP and the Liberals that, that do see uh, what I just said, but uh, they can't control the directions of, of their parties as well, so hopefully they'll be there too. We'll go to Zoom again. Annie Bergeron, one question, one follow-up. Annie, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, there we go. You talked about wanting an apology. I'm wondering who specifically is kind of the most important. Is it the Prime Minister? Is it other members of Cabinet? And following up on that last question, have you had any conversations while you were on Parliament Hill? Why did you choose Parliament Hill today for this press conference? Oh, okay, I'll kind of answer that backwards. Why I chose this day for the press conference in Parliament Hill is because we will be 
um, remembering what occurred on the 17th, just on Parliament Hill tomorrow. So that was appropriate. Um, I have spoken to some MPs in regards to this. In terms of, a, of an apology, ideally I would like an apology from the uh, uh, all parties that had voted in, in favour of the, the Emergency Act. That includes Mr. Singh and the NDP. Uh, that also includes uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, Krista Freeland um, definitely owes a significant apology, especially to those that had suffered freezing of their bank accounts and the repercussions after that. Um, I actually would hope that she would apologize to each person individually for doing that. Um, now, uh, there's Justice Lametti, um, there's also uh, Minister Mar uh, Mandicino, um, an apology for obviously voting in favour of the Emergency Act. Uh, I'm hoping these comments were in jest or, or comical on their part, but of bringing in tanks uh, to remove people with tanks, our own military, um, resembling what a, a third um, world nation would do. Um, so yes, those are the apologies that I would like to hear. And just following up, at the very beginning you talked about how if you were wearing a Canadian flag or something about oil and gas, it would be hard to get into Parliament today. I'm wondering why you chose a press conference inside Parliament instead of something outside where the protest had been. Was there an MP who had sponsored or invited you to bring the conference here? Is that part of the reason? Uh, no, no, it was an initiative upon myself. Um, and you sort of answered the, the question within the question is, uh, We've, the reason why I'm here in Parliament is this is where the decisions of the country are made. We had a decision that was lawfully and unconstitutionally made upon us, and I'm coming here to address it. Um, throughout the last two years, I've been at many rallies, many of, of, of my, my colleagues have. Um, we've tried to have conversations with the establishment or the legacy press. Uh, they, they have been ignored largely. Um, for just the issues that I brought up today. Um, so that is why I'm here. Thanks, everyone. Okay, and that wraps up the news conference. Let's take a break. Now, before we go to break, just uh, alerting you all that we will be jumping off YouTube and Facebook very shortly because we're going to start dealing with subject matter that is just uh, not YouTube, Facebook compatible. If you get my drift, we'll be right back on the other side of this.
the New World Order. Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now, at FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind So Andrew McGillivray from Veterans for Freedom will be joining us in probably about five to ten minutes and that will begin our coverage of this story involving Kayla Pollock who will tell us her personal story um, with the thing in the arm. That's when we will have to jump off Facebook and YouTube. So if you haven't moved over to Rumble or Twitter yet, I suggest that you, you do that. I did put the link to the Rumble channel, tonight's broadcast, in the comments section in the chat. So look for that in there, and hopefully you can navigate your way over to the Rumble channel. Uh, you can also support us, as you just saw, by donating at maverickdonations.com. That's the Gibson Go account that we have set up. Great organization there, Christian-based, super friendly, very helpful people. And we also have a donation page set up at freedomreporters.com. And of course, we do still have these Maverick News shirts with the embroidered logos on them. If you donate $60 or more, I'll send you one of those shirts or a hoodie in black. That's because it's the company colors. And uh, we're going to be getting some other t-shirts and things. And I also still have uh, some Exile the Knights of Malta shirts in stock as well. Uh, no embroidered ones, obviously, but the uh, the hoodies and and other shirts. Just let me know what size you need. Leave a comment on the donation um, page when you, if you, <laughs> donate to us tonight and help us keep the operation running here and covering the bills. Uh, phone system, I've been trying to cut the costs there, and I have found a way to keep the costs a little bit lower, but... It's a very expensive proposition. So you can support us that way. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, subscribe over on Rumble. And we are going to move over to Rumble in just a moment because I see our guest is arriving in the back room. So let me run a little transition here while I reconfigure our feed so that we don't get banned. That would really suck. I'm tired of being banned. I'll be, I'll be right back. Stay with me. Greetings brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. 
We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, here's our uh, first guest of the evening. Hey, Drew, how are you tonight? I'm good, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on the program. Now, we haven't had Kayla on yet, and that's okay because I want to kind of save her interview until the end because it's so powerful. Um, but I'm glad that you could join us because I know that you are, through V4F, Veterans for Freedom, doing your best to help this lady. And I'll just throw it to you to just give us the Reader's Digest a condensed version of what her story is. Yeah, so the the only uh, reason I found out about her story was her son goes to school with my niece, and I guess my sister had uh, heard the story about what had happened to her, and she had reached out to me to say, hey, can you help this uh, lady in my community? And uh, so I reached out to her on Facebook, and I think she got back to me in a couple days, and um you know, we were chatting a bit and we, um, you know, I thought it wasn't fair uh, about what happened to her. Well, when I sort of got the gist of the story, you know, she got coerced and then she got injured. And then, especially like in the veteran community, when we're having, you know, veterans being offered made through Veterans Affairs Canada, it's quite the sensitive issue in our, in our network and in, in our group. Um, so when I heard that it happened to her, you know, um, in, in hearing some more details on her story is when we sort of reached out to some of our friends. We reached out to our friend Matt Horwood uh, at the Epoch Times and then our friend John Nisbet at the Canadian Independent. So um, basically, uh, Matt had already written a story for about Kayla when he was at the Western Standard uh, online. And it, 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 done, it done okay, but it didn't get as much traction. And so we reached out to John, shared the story, uh, her story with John, and um, they really took a, a deep dive into it. I know he's he spoke to Kayla for uh, countless hours, and um, he decided to run with the story, which is great. We're thankful uh, for John. I'm sure Kayla's thankful for John to putting in the time to get her story out. And um, yeah, so so basically, uh, the gist of it is that. She was, uh, she on her, I got a doggies here, um, on a, she got a Moderna booster and then she had uh, suffered some, some paralysis and she was having some episodes and, um, and then one morning she woke up and she couldn't move and she was paralyzed. And, uh, so, you know, she had gone to the doctor and done all sorts of tests and everything like that and, uh, just dealing with this you know, nightmare that's happened to her because she uh, thought she was doing the right thing uh, in terms of safety and to keep, to keep her job. And um, then she, you know, you know, she got a, a abandoned. Um, 
And uh, so the the key thing here, and I actually didn't know about this till after, was her uh, her boyfriend that had recorded the surgeon saying what the paralysis or the lesion on her spine was most likely from. And that's pretty significant. Uh, so John discovered that while talking to her. And uh, it's pretty pretty sad, you know. I'm 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 not. Yeah, I've, I'm I love that. I actually have that recording ready yep. to share with people here, and just to to help kind of focus the information here a little bit. She was diagnosed with acute transverse myelitis, and that is essentially very severe inflammation of the spinal cord, which can, after looking up the information on this, be caused by a lot of different things. And then the doctors, after first telling her that she was kind of crazy, they finally did a bunch of tests and then drilled down. And she has a recording of a doctor who tells her basically that he thinks it is very likely the vaccine that caused the problem. So let me run the the recording that she made without the doctor's knowledge so that you're aware, but made it legally and shares that with us here now. Here it is. Basically, it's a tumor that has to be removed. Left like right left like tumor. Okay. Right left like so, What's the cancer look like? Well, we need the CT chest abdomen pelvis just to make sure there's no other areas of malignancy. Okay. So that's what that is. But most likely it's going to be probably if I'm using my gut impression here from the vaccine. So other people have it? Though? Many people have it. Many? Many. So... That was his conversation with her, and that is riveting. Yeah, and, and that, that's critical. Uh, kudos to her and her boyfriend to uh, to do that because we we haven't heard too much of that other than the doctors who have been uh, speaking out. You know, like McCullough, uh, Malone, Alexander, and, and Trozzi, and those guys. But here you have a doctor who who's sort of who's who's said it. Uh, which is important. And and the reason, you know, like, I, I guess I'm not too much of an emotional guy. I've, I've seen some awful things uh, in my lifetime that have really desensitized me to a lot of stuff. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I'm, we're not going to, you know, this is why I went to the convoy to support the truckers. And this is why myself and the organization stepped up to try and help Kayla to the best of our ability is we're not going to sit idly by uh, and allow our government uh, and their institutions and the teachers' boards and that sort of thing to coerce people into doing something, then injuring them, and then sort of getting away with not helping them. It's like no, that that that's not that's not okay. It's it's not you know we're just not going to let that sort of thing happen. So we're we're you know stepping up and like I said, we're helping out where we can. We can. We've donated five hundred dollars towards her service dog. Um, and we're running the Give, Send, Go, and we're getting her lined up to get her story out on po- on podcasts. And, you know, hopefully towards the end of everything is we can, you know, get her some legal representation to go after the people who perpetrated this, whether it's the, the you know, the vaccine companies or the teachers board or the government or whatever. I'm not too sure. I can't comment on that. But, you know, some, some you know, like it's just awful. It's just completely uh, destroyed this woman's life. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and it has destroyed her life because she is now paralyzed from the neck down. She can't move. She's a quadriplegic. She's in a wheelchair. She gets very, you know, very low level, minimal home home care support from the mm-hmm. government. And they've now offered her 
as an alternative, medical assistance in dying three times, yeah. she tells me, three times. Yeah, no, that's that's ridiculous. And and this is one of the, the uh, again, it touches close to the, you know, the veteran community is what a lot of people don't know. And this is something we wrote about in November of 2022 in one of our reports there. It was called The, the Killings at Hadamar Castle. And um, one of the, some of the first people that they the Nazis killed with their Nazi eugenics programs and their tests were veterans. The guys who were shell-shocked uh, vets from World War One. they are the first people that they killed. And, um, you know, it's, it's really... There's been a, a fair amount of pressure behind the scenes from different veteran groups, you know, in, including some of the, you know, the elder veterans who are in their 60s and 70s who have, you know, associations and classes from RMC and, and, and naval officer associations who've been writing to their MPs and writing to the government like, look, you, you can't you, the, you can't expand this to mental health. And, you know, I, I believe that it's from the veteran community not necessarily us but some of these other groups that we've spoken to who have who've done these red, uh, letter writing campaigns uh to get them the delay made for mental health because it's a, it's just a cost saving cost saving measure so we're we're bothered by this because you know she's a citizen of this country and she was injured and then their first thing to do is turn around and and offer a maid and, and that's not okay with us and that's why, like I said, we our organization stepped up and are, are trying to help her out uh, the best way we can to get her story out. And you know, we we got we got some other stuff uh, sort of planned there. We're getting her on some you know some other podcasts, and we'll be speaking about her when our contingent of guys goes down to uh, uh, Washington D.C. for CPAC uh, at the end of the month. And uh, we got to expose these people for what they've done. And it, to me, it's I look upon it as a crime, and they're just trying to cover it up and make it go away. And it's like, nope, you know, we got a great group of uh, patriotic men and women within our organization, and we're going to keep fighting for the people as best as we can. Yeah, and it's people exactly like this that do need the support, and you do have this this campaign that you've initiated to to help Kayla, and people can donate at. Uh, it's up on the screen there, folks. GiveSendGo.com forward slash Kayla Pollock. The last name spelled P-O-L-L-O-C-K. GiveSendGo.com. Kayla Pollock. And, um, sorry, I got dogs dogs barking. But what? Um, what we, we're already twenty five percent of the way there, and it's it's uh, it's an organization that we know who uh, we have lined up to get the dog uh, taken care of for her and help, you know, train. And, and she'll know what she's doing because she is a dog trainer, uh, but we'll work with her and, and get it taken care of. And, you know, the, the $20,000 was at the, at the absolute high end and um, it, could, it could be less than that. And then if there's any excess funds, uh, what we'll do is we'll provide them because from my understanding, she might need some, you know, uh, modifications for her wheelchair uh, to help, uh, you know, do make some enhancements there, but as well, one of her, her big things, which, you know, we're, we're sort of talking back and forth with her in terms of, you know, sort of setting realistic goals is, you know, getting her a vehicle so she can't move around. And there, there's, you know, there's standard wheelchair vehicles that aren't as expensive. Uh, but because she has an electronic wheelchair, there's, you know, specific vehicles that she needs to get, and they're pretty pricey. They're pretty expensive. So, 
Um, anything extra that we raise will go towards, like I said, the wheelchair modifications or uh, help her, you know, purchase a vehicle so she can, you know, get some semblance of, you know, normal life again where she can travel around and uh, and drive. Like it, it's, you know, I, I think about with our with our members, like with three thousand members, if we all of us gave, and we haven't, you know, emailed our membership yet, but if we each gave five bucks, that's the dog uh, paid for right there. And then we can continue uh, to fundraise, uh, you know, because who knows if, if she gets approved for the vaccine injury support program, um, someone like with like her, in, in my opinion, would be eligible for the max, whatever that is. I'm not sure. Uh, $275,000. Sorry, how much? Two seventy five. Two hundred and seventy five thousand yeah. is the most the government will pay out in yeah. a uh, vaccine injury compensation um, claim. Yeah, so th- there's the vehicles. I, I, I believe it's around a hundred thousand dollars just for the vehicle. That's cr- yeah. like that's not very much, and and, and that's just for recently- your life for the whole for your whole life. Yeah, yeah. right. That's you know, it. Yeah, so we. I have a, a raw dog food uh, company. So with that, we're going to help her out uh, with some raw dog food for as long as we can. Um, but you know, we have to get the dog first, and hopefully that can come sooner rather than later. And, um, yeah, well, like I said, well, we're, we're going to be visiting her and her son on Sunday. So the, the, the three directors of V4F, so myself, Jill Young, husband and Eddie Cornell, uh, we have an event in Cambridge tomorrow and then we'll be meeting up, uh, to visit her on, on the Sunday. And we have a little bit of a surprise, uh, for her. And I know she's watching right now and, uh, yeah, it'll be good. Uh, uh, day to get in and meet her and, and sort of understand from her perspective what her situation's like and but you know uh people it's 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 funny because people attack our organization all the time and it's we've been attacked since day one and saying you know we make stuff up or we're lying or we have agendas or this and that and unfortunately you know a lot of people use that to fuel their own conspiracy theories um but you know we've done not saying our organization is perfect uh, but we've raised a lot of money for people, whether it's legal fees, whether it's you know thousands of dollars to have people's guys' train cables replaced, uh, who are at the convoy and bills and all sorts of things. So we've done a lot of good work, and uh, you know I think I, I do a weekly show on Sundays on our social media, and I went through like every transaction uh, since our inception, and it was two hundred fourteen thousand dollars that we've raised for people. None of us get paid. Uh, we're all volunteers and, you know, we raised another $5,000 for uh, people in January. So we're at $219,000 we've raised for people in need. So uh, all of our critics and people attack us for like no reason, <laughs> uh, you know, they're just wasting their time because like I tell people, it's like, I, I personally haven't been in combat. We have a lot of guys who have been, we have special forces guys, you know, Dallas Alexander, some of these guys who are just straight up dudes and good people. It's, you know, your little insults and your, your, you know, 5,000 letter emails you write us, like it has zero effect on us. So maybe just spend your time uh, doing something more productive with your life. Well, and this is very productive. This is very positive. This is what you guys are, you know, at, at, you know, when it comes right down to it, this is the stuff that you're most active with is helping people who are in need. And Mm -hmm. Kayla is, is in exactly that position. Unfortunately, this stuff is, is, you know, 
immersed in politics, and it shouldn't be, because this is just a, a person who is ill, who appears to have been injured by the vaccines. I mean, the, the problem is there isn't a lot of science um, or even research being done into that area, I don't think, to support the people who are being vaccine injured with data and empirical evidence that can then be carried forward in a, in a legal way to help them. But regardless, even if it wasn't the vaccine that caused her to be injured, they should yep. at least be looking into it. And she's sick. She's 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 now paralyzed from the neck down. She needs help. That's the bottom line. And you guys are stepping up and, and doing doing a great thing with, you know, the, the support that you're you're providing. And that's not that should not be political. It's just a member of our community, a citizen yep. who needs help. Yeah, exactly. And. We, it's funny when people call us like right wing extremists and all this stuff is like, uh, I'm sitting in the house right now that I grew up in, uh, in just outside of the Pitfield hood in Scarborough. Okay. I, I grew up in, uh, and a lot of my friends are not, not white. So we always get a good laugh and chuckle when they call me a white supremacist or extremist. It's like my best friend's Guyanese. I play, you know, so uh, we, it's always a good laugh when, when we get that. Um, so like I said, we, we take a lot of flack and that's fine, but are the proofs in the pudding with our organization, um, and, and what we've done and how many people we've helped and we'll continue to do so. And so we're going to have our, uh, yo haters and trolls and stuff who attack us. And, uh, I think what, what we get a laugh as we share it within our internal chats, uh, some of the hate mail and accusations we get from people and it, to us it's just comedy like we just laugh it doesn't have any effect on us whatsoever so it's uh it's uh, pretty amusing um uh for us and you know we we know the uh, caliber of men and women that we have within our organization we got a lot of good people who are doing a lot of good work and we're going to continue to do so and all the detractors and you know that guy you have uh matt the unstable or whatever that guy is who comes on your show sometimes you know, he's he just makes up, unfortunately, a bunch of stuff about our organization as well. So it's uh, we'll, but again, we'll it's just work amusing. on him. We'll we'll convert him. We'll 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 win <laughs> him over. We'll get him. You'll see. You'll see. Yeah. He'll see the light. It's uh, this is this is a fantastic thing that you're doing again, Drew. And, and you know, my hat goes off to you guys. And, and you know, um, it, I just I can't compliment compliment you enough on on this initiative again it's it's a fantastic thing great cause and uh, i'm eager to get to uh to kayla and, and and speak to her in just a moment but um okay. but uh just a final thought because this is actually now the second anniversary of the convoy we're seeing mm -hmm. you know some some uh celebrations i guess uh, taking place across the country including up in ottawa do you have any final thoughts on that I, I guess that is the you know she even you know said to me today in the in the pre-interview that um, it was the convoy that uh, really made a big difference um, for her. Uh, and, and I think it's even making a difference now. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely celebrate. And I know, you know, you have to celebrate the small victories and stuff like that. And uh, I know people think, oh, the convoy was a loss. It, it was a, a astounding victory. We couldn't have had a bigger victory. Um, uh, like we couldn't have asked for a bigger victory. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to celebrate that. It's a part of uh, uh, Canadian history. It's something that sort of kicked off the, you know, global freedom movement, in my opinion. Well, I guess the Yellow Jackets and, and some other stuff had taken place, but that was the really, you know, big event. So we, we if uh, I know there's a bunch of our people who will be attending, they're, I think they're mustering at the War Memorial at 11 a.m. 
uh, tomorrow and going. So we'll have a bunch of our guys there. And there are going to be 20 or 25 of us in Cambridge uh, for an event down there to help raise some money for uh, some of our, our trucker friends. So uh, definitely celebrate the, the day. Um, we're all stronger uh, because of the convoy, the networks we have, the exposure that we're getting, uh, you know, for, for people like Kayla and their stories is continuing to grow. More people are, are waking up. So we need to continue to fight and get the message out there and, and let people know, like Kayla know, that they're not alone and we have a strong community here who will help her. Well, two years later, we're moving beyond the convoy and yep. and that's because of initiatives like this. And Drew, thank you so much for joining us on the program again tonight. Um, always welcome here. Great to have your voice added and uh, um, and just more, more than anything, thank you for doing what you're doing here with, yep. with Kayla. That's awesome. Well, thanks very much. And, you know, shout out to Kayla for uh, being, you know, a hero and stepping up and getting her story out. So kudos to her. And thanks for having me, Rick. Okay, Drew. And folks, uh, when we come back on the other side, Kayla will join us and uh, share her personal story, her account of getting the vaccine and what's happened to her since. So stay with me. I'll be right back. Greetings brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals. individuals. Defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible. Trusted. Grounded in reality. Maverick News. Maverick News. Defending free speech. Free speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Kayla Pollock, thank you for joining us on the program. It's uh, it's it's very nice to meet you, and and I'm I'm glad you can join us today because your story is, I think, one of many uh, that um, we're beginning to, to see, and I think that your story is particularly important because you've come forward and you have, um, I think, evidence, and and even a recorded audio track with with a doctor that reinforces and confirms 
the information that you're about to share with us. But let's walk back a little bit, Kayla, and and just uh, explain, first of all, um, what your current situation is. And then we'll talk about how this happened to you. Um, well, I'm currently quadriplegic, so that means that um, I am paralyzed completely um, below the waist, and I am also paralyzed or have loss of usage or loss of feeling and usage in my arms, triceps, um, hands, um, other places um, above body. So quadriplegic means it affects all four limbs, um, where paraplegic is when you see someone who's in a wheelchair and you can see them kind of push themselves out of their wheelchair and maybe push themselves or pull themselves into a chair, like a like a normal chair or something. That's, that's not the case with me. Um, those uh, functions are just gone. So, now, just to kind of just cut right to the chase on this, you're, yeah. you're convinced, you believe that your current condition was um, brought on by the administ by by have by taking the, the 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 COVID vaccines. Can you do you explain w how that happened and just just fill us in because this is yeah. it's mind blowing to me. Um, well, I have extensive medical knowledge. I've been uh, type one diabetic since I was eleven, so. Um, I have a pretty extensive medical knowledge and it's funny because that's trickled on to my son. So my son is nine now, but when, when he was in kindergarten, he was talking to uh, his teacher about, uh, about me being diabetic and uh, he was talking about a pancreas, which is the organ that's responsible for not working properly in diabetes. And they were talking, and the kids said to him in the class, what's a pancreas? And he came home, and he was pretty upset with me. And he goes, Mom, why did you put me in a class that's full of dumb people? And I went, excuse me, why would you say that? And he goes, Mom, none of them know what a pancreas is. And I kind of laughed, and I said, well, Mason, their parents aren't diabetic. It's not normal for a kindergarten child to know what a pancreas is. That's something you learn in like high school or university, not kindergarten. So I just have an extensive knowledge of the body, how it works. And uh, I was, you know, told with my COVID shots, as we all were, that if you had an autoimmune condition or you had, you know, you were of a certain age, that you really needed to get your COVID shot because these shots were... Uh, going to be extra important because god forbid you know that uh, that someone like us got covid you know we would we could die from it so much easier than you know a normal a normal person it, you know it was it was really blown out of proportion but uh anyway when i first uh, developed symptoms um it was uh three days after my covid shot and uh, anyone who's ever had a child by C-section um, would know what it feels like to be paralyzed because they give you um, an epidural, basically, 
where you're paralyzed um, so that they can remove the baby while you're awake and you don't feel anything. Um, so um, I do know what it feels like to be paralyzed. Um, and I had an episode three days later where I was, I went to get out of bed and I just fell and it was like my legs just didn't work at all. And I, I was on the floor and I called for my boyfriend and I said, I don't know, I don't know what's wrong. I maybe, maybe I just didn't sleep right. I don't understand. I don't know. But about like maybe 20 or 30 minutes later, it was just like, it was just all better. There was, I wasn't in pain or anything. So I got up and you know what? I was fine. Nothing, nothing else, to, nothing came of it. And then um, I think it was about four days later, the second episode happened and it was the same thing. And when that second episode happened, I said, this is neurological. We need to cut, we need to get a hold of the doctor and I need to see a neurologist like quickly. Um, this is, this is, very much neurological. I can kind of tell by, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, my legs are paralyzed for that, for that time. And I was definitely convinced that it was, you know, so I called my doctor and uh, said I needed to see a neurologist and was told that it could take, you know, a year or more, but that this was obviously very urgent and they would put it in as that. But, uh, you know, now after COVID that, you know, sometimes it can be two years to get into a neurologist. So um, I did not go to the hospital because the hospital system is just an absolute mess. And I didn't feel like I would be believed, funny enough, in my story that comes up again. But uh, I honestly think that um, even if I didn't mention my COVID shot, they would say, well, it's not happening now. If it happens again, come back. And I didn't want to wait in the ER for 12 hours to be told, you know, here's some Tylenol, come back. If it, I mean, it didn't even hurt, but come back if it happens again. So I, I just, there, there was no point, in, especially my hospital, there was no point in going. And uh, I think that my, uh, like I said, later on in my story, that comes up again and, uh, Clearly, had I gone to the hospital, nothing would have been done. So um, after those two episodes, uh, it was it was when the main event occurred that I started to uh, put things in my into my mind. So um, at the time, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So you you got the injections. You went. You actually took the vaccine three times, two Pfizer's and one Moderna at the end. Yeah. And well, then I at, did. Yeah. yeah. And um, then, then that's when you became ill. And what, when you went to see the doctor, what were you diagnosed with? It's uh, acute. Uh, my final diagnosis is a yeah. transverse mellitus. Right. Which and, is a, will, a very known vaccine reaction. Um, actually, they stopped the AstraZeneca trials uh, because of this. But at first, uh, when I first uh, had this happen, 
Uh, it was February 22nd, uh, 2022. So I'm coming up to the second anniversary of that, which uh, is going to be difficult, very difficult. Um, you know, some people celebrate their their uh, anniversaries of when they became, you know, uh, injured. Usually you have an accident when you have my condition. Um, you know, you're skiing, you break your neck or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I looked it up, and uh, yeah. I mean, there are a variety of things that could cause it. They they yeah. say on the information that I found today, including bacterial infections and things like yeah. that. So, um, yeah, you have to rule but, out all those things. So, yeah. um, when I first went to the hospital, so when I woke up, sorry, going back, when I woke up that day, um, I woke up and I, w I knew I had to get the phone really early that morning because the school board was going to be calling so that I could take a colleague shift because a lot of colleagues weren't coming to work or were getting minor flu, like, you know, COVID, I guess. Right. Um, they weren't dying. They, were, they weren't really, really sick. They were just taking some time off work and coming back. So um, I was taking my colleague shift because she was making a lot more money. And uh, I, I wanted to stay the whole day. I loved my job. My son um, also went to the school I worked at, really small community, loved my job. And what did you so, do? Um, I worked uh, at a school um, during lunch hours. And then when I would uh, work for my colleague, I worked as a casual uh, like substitute EA. Um, so really you're there like to, uh, help the teacher, but by dealing with the, any kid's behavior problems, basically, or to help them like, you know, their shoes and stuff. So I was in kindergarten and, um, which is a little more difficult, I found out. But, um, anyway, uh, I woke up that morning and I opened my eyes and the first thought that came to my, my brain is I gotta go get the, I gotta get the phone. So I better get up. And I didn't realize it was like five, five thirty, five o'clock in the morning. So I didn't need to get the phone that early. But um, I heard the vehicle start, and uh, which meant that my boyfriend must have been leaving to go to work. And I went to get up, and I recall that it was exactly like when I had my C-section, and I. No matter what I did, no matter how much I tried, I couldn't get up. And I really, it was from the neck down. I could kind of move my head, but I couldn't move anything else from the neck down. So I immediately made the quick diagnosis of, okay, you're quadriplegic. What could cause this? Did you hurt yourself? I scanned and thought, no, I'm not in pain. There's no pain. I, I didn't hurt myself. I didn't fall. You know, there's no, like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm going through my head thinking, what could cause this? What could cause this? And I had no idea at the time. So I needed to get a hold of my boyfriend or I was going to be stuck like that for the day. And God forbid that had happened. I think about that all the time. But I trained service dogs and guide dogs at the time as well. And uh, I had a service dog, a great Dane. And um, it's a bit hard to talk about because I ended up losing him through all of this. But uh, I had a service dog, the Great Dane, and um, he knew. I, I said, get help, get help. 
and he knew he didn't know whether to leave me so he paced at the door and he would go downstairs and then come back up he'd go downstairs and then come back up so i didn't know if what he was doing was working whether he was confused but anyway my boyfriend came up and he's like something's wrong with the dog and i tried because i had tried to scream for him and i didn't realize that this had affected my lungs as well so i had very low lung capacity at the time didn't know that um also didn't realize that that's common with uh quadriplegia i didn't know that 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 had had happened so anyway the the once he got into the room i was able to get his attention and i said i just said call 911 now i like and he's like well what's wrong i said just call 911 and tell them i'm quadriplegic i need i need them to come right now i was very calm um i figured i would go to the hospital they would look at me they put me through a scanner we would find out what this was and they would give me something and things would be better so um he didn't know he wasn't panicked because he didn't know what quadriplegia was and thankfully he didn't know how to spell it so he uh he didn't look it up on his phone thank god um so he knew i wouldn't joke around when it comes to um to uh calling 911 so he called 911 and uh they put me on the backboard i had no pain i just couldn't move and uh they were nice to me they didn't say anything that was odd or anything they just you know took a report of what had happened and i said nothing told them what i just told you and then i got to uh south lake regional health center and uh the original doctor who saw me in the ER came and he goes um well we don't need to do any tests because this is actually um uh we did what well, they had done a blood test but he said um you know you're not on any drugs and alcohol and I'm thinking well I know that and he said um so this the good news is this is all in your head and he, he and when i when he's saying this i'm thinking well this is wonderful because if it's all in my head it'll go away and i'm i said but i'm not stressed and i'm not upset and i don't have any psychiatric disorders that would like cause me to hallucinate and he goes sometimes it just happens to people where it's like i'm like is it kind of like when people you know think they have a baby inside them and they don't and he's like yeah it's exactly like that I'm like, okay, so how do I get it to stop? And he goes, "Well, I'm going to have a psychiatrist come down and and talk to you." And so I'm thinking, "Okay, it's all in my head." And uh he they took away the backboard and um they didn't do any tests, and then all of a sudden I got this pain in my neck, and I mean, I started screaming. And I remember thinking, "I don't have the capacity to even scream as as much as as much as the pain i have like i couldn't scream i i couldn't stop it was just that painful and i it was the most painful thing i've ever gone through and i've had lots of broken arms i've had you know a c section this was you know this was this was painful 
and this right, is this right is no doubt be, yeah this is no doubt because the condition that you have yeah. is uh is it's like severe inflammation of the spinal cord exactly and when, what i found out later is this was so close to making me have a breathing tube for the rest of my life being on a like a a ventilator for the rest of my life it was at the c2 level and i have incomplete quadriplegia that means that the spinal cord wasn't suffocated all the way but the lesion went right from the bottom and it had gone all the way up in the time they had left me sitting there doing nothing for me um it had gone up further and it had reached my neck and the pain was you know, because of where it had been going, like it, it was moving literally as I was sitting there and they were telling me I was crazy. Yeah. So this um, is all, this is all happening, you know, within a short time of you first um, losing control of, you know, your limbs and becoming quadriplegic. What, how long did it take for them and what did they do to finally diagnose you? Um, well, I was just left sitting there for an entire day um, after I was told I was crazy, waiting for the psych consult, um, which I never did get, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it would have been about eight hours. And then uh, I had a doctor come and he kind of whispered to me and he said, you know, I don't think you're crazy. I think there's something seriously wrong with me, with you. And I said, I don't think I'm crazy either. I think there's something wrong. And he goes, listen, I have a friend who's a radiologist and he will read your um, your scan now. I will put you in an MRI scanner right now if you agree to it. And I said, I completely agree to it. Put me in there right now. Let's go. And um, so anyway, I went in the MRI scanner. They did an MRI with and without contrast which took quite a long time. But uh, at this point in time, I'm being so pumped full of drugs so that they can shut me up that, you know, this is where I, I start to kind of lose, uh, you know, time a little bit and, you know, start to zone out a bit because I mean, I was on a, a large amount of, uh, of, of medicine, but I do remember them saying, you know, you have, uh, you are quadriplegic at this time. And I'm like, I told you that when I came in, I remember being angry about that. And um, he, you know, that doctor was very kind and he said, we need to find out why. So they, uh, they ruled out any infection. They ruled out any illnesses. They ruled out any, um, any uh, cancer. They ruled out any lesions or like tumors, I should say, like, or, or MS, um, because my brain scan, uh, I had had a brain scan once before and my brain scan compared to that was unchanged. Um, so MS would, would show lesions in your brain normally. Um, so they said it was idiopathic, which means that, uh, they weren't sure at what had caused it at this time. And then uh, I started to, to think, okay, I think I have an idea of what this might be. And uh, I told my boyfriend 
put my hand on the record button and press record on my phone and I and don't move the phone because if you move the phone you're going to create noise just put it down upside down on the table and leave it there and he goes why I said because legally if I have the phone and I press record then I can record the conversation so when the doctor was about to come in we knew that so we did that and that's when the, the doctor came in and said you know we ruled out this we ruled out that and uh my my gut is that it, it it's from the vaccine um that would be the only other thing it could be from and um i said uh something and he goes you know i've seen lots of these cases that's what i think it is and that's the recording that that we that we got and my reports do say um as i believe the the um the article that you would have uh, read yes. and the, the video that you would have seen. Yeah. Um, the uh, Those are actually taken right out of my medical file where it says, you know, patient is, you know, quadriplegic due to um, Moderna COVID vaccine. And I, we have audio of, an, of another doctor saying the same thing, um, but it wasn't needed. So um, essentially, I, I never got the psych diet uh, or sorry, the psych consult uh, as i said and there's parts of me that wish i had gone after that doctor but uh i sat in my in my apartment for a year alone in a lot of pain very depressed and um, my son said mom you need to you know he's nine now and he said you need to tell your story and he he's he knows that you know i do i did a lot of public speaking and he knows that I was, you know, I had some big audiences in my life, uh, you know, 19,000 people at the Air Canada Centre with Caesar Milan, and he knew that. So uh, he knew that th that was sort of something I did, and he just said, Mom, you, you have to tell your story. He said, what if there was someone else that has this and they're not talking about it? Or what if someone else has this and they want to, you know, they, they feel like killing themselves because they feel like they're all alone? He's like, wouldn't you want to help them? Or what if someone just has quadriplegia and they want to talk to you? Wouldn't you want to help them? And so it was really my son, you know, he made a lot of sense. And, you know, I told him what it might involve, that there might be people that don't like what I'm saying. And um, that I wasn't sure I could handle that. But, yeah. uh, you know, because they would say, you know, you chose to take the job and, you know, we all had our reasons. I mean, I had a dad in long-term care. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, dying. so you, you, you at the time had faith in the system, faith in the vaccines. You believed what you were being told and you went ahead and, uh, and, and, and took the jab. I did. And then the third vaccine, we were all told on the media and, and Justin Trudeau and everything, he was making it sound like the third vaccine was going to be part of the passport. And that's when the truckers came. I took my vaccine right before the truckers came. And that really silenced the government. They were busy dealing with the truckers. And they realized that the vaccine passports, Canadians were done with them. And I, you know, had the truckers been just a little bit sooner, 
you know, I might not be where I am today, not to say that it's their fault. You know, had that doctor not left me sitting in the ER all day, I mean, I'm sure I'd be walking today because it's very time sensitive when you get those meds. Um, you know, the doctor even told me you should be moving fine within a few days, but it's like fine, like walking kind of thing, but it's very time sensitive when you get those meds. So, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a lot of people, you know, that say, oh, I think I have a vaccine injury and people think they're crazy. Yeah. And, uh, I'm lucky enough to have um, proof and I'm lucky enough that I thought of that but if people didn't have and most people don't have the medical knowledge um, then they just sound crazy to their friends to their doctors to their families and they're not going to be compensated for minor things the only people that we've seen compensated are people who have lesser injuries than than me and you know they're not even i mean the full amount of compensation is two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars that amount of money is not going to you know it's a hundred thousand dollars to get the vehicle i need mm -hmm. i mean what is that money gonna do my son thought it would pay for the surgery i needed so i could walk again and i said to tell him there is no surgery for that what is that money really going to do? It's not going to give me back my life. It'll help. You and know? this is the Vaccine but, Injury Support Program, which yeah. you have applied for, but you're still well, going was, through the process, and you really haven't had uh, a proper response from no, from the right. government on that front, right? No. And like I said, I've been offered made three times. That article actually had it wrong. I've been offered made three times. And um, I feel like it's kind of... Uh, a way that they get rid of, uh, that they kind of offer to get rid of people that would cost the government money, um, anyone that would need a long-term care bed. I mean, think about it. The baby boomers are all coming up to the age where things are going to start to go wrong, and we don't have enough long-term care beds, and let alone yeah. enough beds, we don't have enough staff already. So you think of someone like me also, I'm 37 years old. I'm not going to fit in very well in long-term care, and I certainly am not going to be happy. So I did, I did definitely entertain the thought. Um, I mean, my life has been absolutely meaningless and horrible since then for in, in a lot of ways and so and talk to me about to that what you you have a lot of trouble just functioning every day you have trouble getting dressed and and there is you don't have much that. support no and i mean i cannot get out of bed i cannot roll over in bed um i cannot get myself dressed i can't um i can't do things that regular people can do and so it i guess it just really takes its toll on me and also like i can't get out to my porch or even outside to fresh air because it's so inaccessible um it's 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 a really you know i live in my apartment 
I feel like I am in jail in my body and in my house for a crime that I did not commit. I literally feel like I am in jail for a crime I didn't commit. And if I was in another country in a crime, in a jail for a crime I didn't commit, the government would be sending aid to me and trying to get me out. They committed this crime and they offered me death from another government program. So, I, I mean, it's a really sick healthcare system we have. And it's, it's, I'm not an anti-vaxxer at all and I don't want people to get that impression. I am not against vaccines. I wouldn't take another vaccine ever again because I think my immune system is completely screwed up now. But um, that being said, there are vaccines that have done, you know, things. I mean, I think there's some statistics out there that in all of the other vaccines put together over the years, there's never been so many vaccine injuries as there were for the ones, ones done through COVID. Right, and they convinced people like yourself to go out and get the vaccine. I remember they initially started off saying it was completely safe, no risk at all, yeah. and it was, you know, 99% effective, and then yeah. those numbers kept coming down, the story kept changing, and yeah. and they said, oh, there won't be any side effects, and they and now stories like yours are beginning to emerge, and you're one of the first, and... Um, you know, it takes a lot of courage to take the steps that you've taken and come out and, and speak about this publicly. Have you have you had much uh, backlash or any response? It's I guess it's a pretty fresh story, really, in terms of media exposure. So what what's happening with that? Um, well, there was an article in my small town uh, a, a year ago, and uh, that didn't get a lot of attention. And then there was there was an article in the Western Standard. Um, that also didn't get a lot of attention. So uh, a year ago, I tried, and then I was approached. Uh, you know, it's funny. Again, my son has a friend in school, and her, um, her, um, his, her, his friend. She went to her mother talking about me, and her mother called her brother, who's a veteran who was involved with Veterans for Freedom. And he reached out to me and uh, he said, you know, we want to help you. And he got me in touch with John from Independent Media. And uh, that's when, you know, the story um, evolved into, you know, would you would you do this? And I'm like, absolutely. I mean, uh, my son is very much right in, in, don't tell him that please, but, you know, he is very much right in the fact that he said, you know, what if, um, you know, this could help someone else? And I think it can. And I think if we don't share yeah. this stuff, nothing's going to get done. Nobody's going to be held accountable. And so how and, is how how is Veterans for Freedom helping you? Well, they were just the ones that put me in touch with uh, with um, with John, first of all, from independent media who. Yeah. who isn't afraid to show my story because, uh, you know, I can't go to global news or CTV news or any of the news because they're all politically based. So they only show stories where if you have a va vaccine injury and you were compensated with the, by the government, they would yeah. show your story. But if you had a vaccine injury and you haven't been compensated by the government, they will not show your show, your story. 
YouTube, you can't show your story. Um, you can't show your story on Facebook. Like, you know, these places, these places are shutting down anything vaccine injury related. So um, it's very, it's very scary to tell your story because you wonder, is my bank account going to be frozen? Am I going to be threatened by the government? Like, what's going to happen to me? Um, am I going to go to jail? Like, I, like, I don't even know. Like, you just, you just really start thinking. And then you think, how much worse can it really get than it, than it is now? And what's the right thing to do? And yeah. You know, Veterans for but, Freedom is um, doing more than that, though, right? Because or, yeah, because there, uh, there is a there's an effort to to help you financially through a like a a, a crowdfunding effort, a give set yes. go campaign, I think, right? Um, yeah, they set up a um, like a uh, not GoFundMe because, as we know, after what happened with the truckers, uh, people don't trust GoFundMe to necessarily yeah. deliver that. So um, they did set up a set up a crowdfunding um, effort for me, and I did put the link to that. Um, there was a, an option for a comment under my name there. Uh -huh. I'm not sure if it showed up, and you can see it. It asked me when I logged in. Okay, I don't see it, but I, I will make sure that we get it up on the screen here. So yeah, don't worry no about that. I'll definitely get that information up there. So there is a, a Give, Send, Go campaign ongoing. Yeah. And um, that's being administered by Veterans for Freedom, which yes. has been doing some great, you know, community uh, outreach work and and running a number of campaigns like this to support people yes, like yourself. Yeah. Yep. So they're yeah, they support a lot of different causes and a lot of different things. And yeah. Uh, you know, they really made me feel like part of the family and, and um, you know, because I'm like, yeah. why would you help me? You know, that kind of, you know, was my question yeah. for, yeah. you know, and he's like, and I, it's funny because, you know, I, I even worked in his niece's classroom for two years. So, you know, it's, it's funny that it all, all this media coverage comes from this tiny small town in Mount Albert. But I mean, we're, we're trying to get it raise enough money to to buy a wheelchair accessible vehicle um, i'm trying to raise enough money to, to to have a service dog that can like open doors press wheelchair buttons do things like that um and uh you know those run about 20k um i'm trying to raise enough money to have a normal life like where i can live somewhere that's wheelchair accessible that's not away from my son I mean, I had to leave my son in his town and go to a different town just to find somewhere. It's still not wheelchair accessible. I can't even fit into my bathroom. You know, it, it's you know, it's not a it's not a good thing. Um, we, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't like where I live. I only live here because I can sort of move around. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 sad when you see your son, you know, twice a month instead of every day at school, and you know, and and splitting time with with his dad and stuff. I mean, his dad and I thankfully have a good relationship, so um, you know, we, he does what he can, and uh, 
but it's you know it's every other weekend right now and certain holidays and stuff so and in and in the long term the doctors are telling you that you are not going to get better now because the damage the, your, your your spinal cord has been damaged and yeah. you're not going to regain the functions that uh, you had before right or get yeah your and it, yeah and in order to uh, in order to even stay the way I am and not get worse uh, it's twenty thousand dollars plus a year for neuro um, rehabilitation. And when I was going to neuro rehab, I had a donor donate a year of neuro rehab, which is, like I said, is $20,000. And he donated to the rehab place and um, it, under my name. And uh, it's called Walk It Off in New Market. And uh, he donated uh, and uh, he found, uh, it, it, and I found it worked incredibly. I could actually get over into my own bed and out of my own bed um, where now I can't even like turn from side to side. So um, unfortunately, my, uh, my therapist left uh, for five months to ride a bike across Canada with uh, a quadriplegic who was hand cycling. And in that five and a half months of not having it, I went to from being able to transfer, like I said, from my chair to my bed by myself to being in a, a, cha a chair or a bed where I can't, in bed, I can't roll over. And I have full feeling of my legs and they want to move. So if you've ever like had a restless leg episode at night um, or anything like that or just wanted to turn over in the night, um, it's, uh, it's difficult because I have those feelings too, but I can't do it. I can't move. So, you know, I can't, you know, scratch an itch or move my leg, no matter how much it hurts or, and it's, it's just, sometimes it's just beyond, it's beyond excruciating. It's, it's, it's very difficult to live with. And, you know, just getting the care, like having the money to, you know, have a nurse or something that, you know, more than the government offers because you have right to now have you only, money. You, you only get, what, 10 hours a week of support care? Is that right? Yeah, I was I was told I would I, I had I did have 21 hours a week and uh, my last worker, even though I was doing worse. Um, she didn't think I needed it, so she she dropped it down to five hours a week, and I had to fight for ten hours a week of care, and uh, that's through uh, Central Lynn, um, and uh, in uh, in Ontario, and um, that's the government system. Um, the nursing is not so bad. I have a really good nurse, but. Uh, it's the, uh, the the personal support workers that they, you know, through the land, they just, they don't show up. And if they don't show up, I don't get out of bed. And I had days where I would lay in bed. And the first one I came home from the hospital, they didn't show up for four days. And I had to have a friend take four days off work. But unfortunately, it's not very easy for people to look after me 
because I think as you as you heard in the interview, um, I'm so severely injured that uh, someone has to physically um, remove my bowel from inside of me. Like they have to actually remove it. It doesn't come out. So it's, you know, it's not something that, you know, most people would want to do for you. Um, it's, I mean, that's how badly this damaged me. And I have a bag on at all times, like a catheter. Um, so I, I can't go to the washroom on my own at all. And, um, you know, it, it takes more than just your legs. It takes your life, you know. And, uh, and, and uh, I guess in terms of compensation, the best you can hope for is something through the Vaccine Injury Support Program, which, as you said, is a max of, what was it, $275,000 total? Yep, that's the max they give out. Yeah. And I don't know, has anyone even received? Oh, yeah. A guy, a, that, had, that amount? a guy that had less, like a guy that could walk still um, got that. The first man in BC, he got it, got yeah. the max. Um, and he said it wasn't enough either because you have to pay, like, it's $50,000 for the wheelchair that I'm in. And even though ADP pays for portions of these things, assisted device program, um, and Ontario Disability pays for portions of things, and there's programs, but what they don't tell you is what they don't pay for and how much it adds up to. And, I mean, you know, you're you're talking, you know, like I said, and, and, you know, what it costs to have a vehicle that I can even go in. You know, I can't bring this wheelchair anywhere. Where, who, and I can't get into someone's car be, unless you can physically pick me up and lift me into the front seat and then put this 350-pound wheelchair in the back of the car. You know, where are we going to go? You know, it, it's it's just, they've, it's, I'm in jail. Like I said, I am not where I want to be. I'm in jail. I'm without my child. They've taken so much more than my health, my freedom, my it's my whole life and i don't want this to happen to anyone else so i don't want people thinking that you know just because they're flu shot they always get it it's mixed with the covid vaccine now like is that a smart thing to be doing we haven't studied that what do, what it does um having nine booster shots is that really going to protect you i just want people to think about these things because you know if 80 I believe it was 84.6% of Ontario got their first, um, sorry, of Canada got at least their first vaccine. That means that this could have been one of all of us that got it. Anybody that got their vaccine, it could have been you sitting in my chair. And if you didn't get your vaccine, I'm sure you paid for that too. And some people couldn't afford to, to do that. For whatever, for mental health, for financial reasons, for whatever it be, there are people that that were in a situation. Maybe your mom was dying in a hospital, and you wanted to go see her on her in her last days. So you basically are forced to take the shot. You know, like there are so many reasons why people had to do it or felt they had to do it that you know you can't judge someone 
because you don't necessarily know their reasons. And so I don't judge people who didn't. I, I would have loved to have been able to uh, have avoided the scare tactics and avoided the reasons that I had to. But you know what? I, I'm glad I got to see my dad. Um, I'm glad, you know, before he passed away. Um, I'm glad, you know, that I got to work as long as I could. But, you know, I'm certainly not, gl not glad this has happened. I just, I hope it brings meaning, purpose, opportunity into my life to help other people. Um, that's why I'm willing to do these podcasts and, you know, help out as, as much as I can, um, you know. And you need help. And if people do want to help you, the Give, Send, Go that has been set up by Veterans for Freedom, the address is there on the bottom of the screen now. And it is givesendgo.com forward slash Kayla Pollock. You can see the graphic on the screen there, folks. Givesendgo.com forward slash Kayla Pollock. And, uh, and obviously, Kayla's going to need uh, support for a long time to come. The government has not really stepped up in a, in a truly meaningful way for people who are going through these kinds of episodes. Um, not just an episode, but life-changing events. Um, Kayla, um, I'm just going to throw it back to you for, for some final thoughts here. And I'm very interested to know what you might like to say to Justin Trudeau and, uh, and our government about this. Um, well, Justin Trudeau says he never told anyone to get the vaccine. And, uh, I used to be very, I used to, my thoughts at least, or my views in general, used to be very liberal. And, um, you know, my, my grandfather was a great lover of uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Um, but um, I think Justin would have put him to shame. And uh, I, I honestly think that you need to step up and show Canadians that you're there for them, that they did what you said, that they tried to protect their fellow um, Canadians, that... They, they followed your mandates, just as you said that you were going to go after people that didn't follow your mandates and have police come and, you know, break up their Christmas parties and things like that. And, and that happened just as you went after the truckers and there was action. I think you need to uh, to come forward and, and in a meaningful time uh, frame and, and help the people that are especially severely um disabled now because of taking the vaccine um i don't hold him personally accountable but he's part of the problem and and the government told us to do these things the government told us these facts the commercials they left us the the news uh, media outlets that that are on the side of the politician who happens to be in power at the time. Yeah. Um, I know we have a minority government, but uh, everybody was pushing this. And I just, I think it's time to step up and show that uh, you care about all Canadians, just not the uh, ones that you think will vote for you. Well, Kayla, I, I appreciate you sharing your story with us today. It's courageous what you're doing. I know that, uh, 
you know, not everybody out there is uh, is going to want to hear what you have to say because I think the the truth is it scares people, and yeah. uh, and I think that it should, and uh, I think this is making a difference. And again, folks, if you um, if you want to support Kayla, you can do that through the Veterans for Freedom Give Send Go campaign at givesendgo.com forward slash Kayla Pollock. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Uh, just very quickly, is there anything you think we might have missed or anything important that you, you want to add before we sign off? Well, my last name is spelled P-O-L-L-O-C-K, like the fish, um, not P-O-L-L-A-C-K. I had a lot of people get that wrong and I would unfortunately not get that, uh, that it would not go to me. So um, that's about it. But uh, thank you for having me. And uh, I, uh, I hope this reaches the people it needs to. And that uh, if this saves one person from taking the, the next job, then maybe I've saved one person from something like this happening to them. Kayla Pollock, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. is watching. Hello, world. Are you awake? Uniting humankind by liberating millions of minds at a time. Maverick News. The world is watching. Well, it helps if I unmute my microphone. Okay, I'm going to run. What I was saying is I'm going to run a, another little transition-y thing here so I can re-engage, reconnect on a couple of other, other platforms. And I will be back on the other side of this with more of today's top news. 
the New World Order. Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now, at FreedomReporters.com That's FreedomReporters.com Maverick News The Antivirus Program For Your Mind Feel the vibrations. Our quest continues. The truth is out there. back on Facebook and YouTube and firing on all cylinders and all the best to Kayla Pollock as she uh, makes her way through life um, and hats off to V4F for stepping up and providing support and you know who else needs support and help out there the people of East Palestine, Ohio. Today, Joe Biden finally made his way back to the community of, made his way to East Palestine, Ohio, the site of that horrific, disastrous Norfolk Southern train derailment. Chemical spill. Then the chemicals were set on fire huge black cloud smoke spewing toxins into the atmosphere and all over the land in that area. Residents still dealing with it. And Biden didn't visit. Trump went to, uh, to show his support for the people of East Palestine. But the president, Biden, just showing up now a year later, a year later. I'm going to go there and share this news conference with you now. This is, uh, these are the comments from Joe Biden, who points his finger directly at Norfolk Southern and uh, looks, I think he's looking to Norfolk Southern for the solutions rather than coming to East Palestine with solutions of his own even as the leader of the free world and the country where it's, I don't know, this is uh, this is a strange thing in my view. I, I can't believe that it has taken him this long to show up, but here he is. These are his comments. Let's go there now. Thank you for the welcome. More importantly, for your leadership. 
I really mean it. We talked outside. Thank you, sir. You've been through hell. And uh, I also want to thank uh, the EPA administrator here with me, EPA administrator Regan, as well. We just included a briefing about the Herculean efforts, and that's not a hyperbole, the Herculean efforts that were made in the year since this tragedy. But what's happening in the morning, the, the evening of, and the next day, and the weeks and the following is amazing. It's absolutely amazing what this community rose to. You know, I, I want to thank uh, the folks of East Palestine to know. I want them to understand that uh, we're not going home no matter what till this job is done. And it's not done yet. There's a lot more to do. Well, the vast majority is not done. But we're going to stay to the very end. Every need is met. And uh, I want to We continue to hold Norfolk Southern accountable, make sure they make uh, your community whole now and in the future. And what they do not make whole, what they cannot make whole, what isn't made, the government will make whole. We have an obligation. We have an obligation. I can already see this derailment won't define you. It just uh, it defines you in a different way. Your courage, your resilience to this community, and the compassion that you've shown for all your fellow citizens. Let me be clear. While there are acts of God, this was an act of greed that was 100% preventable. Let me say it again. An act of greed that was 100% preventable. We were pushing the railroads to take more precautions, to deal with breaking, to deal with a whole range of things that were not dealt with. Norfolk Southern failed its responsibility. We know multi-million dollar railroad companies transporting toxic chemicals have responsibility to do it safely. And again, Norfolk Southern failed. My administration was on the ground within hours, working closely with the governor, the mayor, the senators, the House members, community leaders, to make sure you have everything you need. My administration ordered Norfolk Southern to clean up the mess it created and ensure it was done right. That includes an executive order I signed to continue our priority to hold Norfolk Southern fully accountable for this disaster and any long-term effects that are able to be identified as time goes on. Not just here, but also in Darlington, Pennsylvania, where I just visited a few hours ago, an hour or so ago. Working with the state, we've tested the air, the water, the soil quality, deployed teams of health experts, provided emergency loans for local businesses. But it's not done yet. There's more to do. Today, I'm announcing the award of six National Institutes of Health grants to some of America's best research universities to study the short and long-term impacts of what happened here. That includes just north of here, Case Western University. So you'll have a top researcher with you as long as you need, as long as has to go on. I also want to restate my support for the bipartisan rail safety lab bill. Senator Brown, Senator Vance, and the congressman from Pennsylvania and others require stronger protective measures when trains are carrying hazardous waste. Storage tank cars. We argued about this for years. They should be stronger. They should be able to survive crashes without exploding. Undate, uh, un, un, undated brakes that meet higher safety standards. 
The fact of the matter is there was a lot of discussion ahead of time before this occurred about the safety of the braking systems of many of these railroads or trains. More staffing on trains so that there are more people to respond immediately to a crash and to do so much more in relation to the safety of the transportation. And it's important that the Senate follow the House and pass the tax reform bill, which makes sure that folks who don't get hit with a tax, a surprise tax bill, for compensation owed them by the railroad. That's not taxable income to them. We've got to make sure that that occurs, that no one is taxed for anything that is reimbursed or received from Norfolk Southern. It's not right. I support the tax, this tax reform bill, and we've got to get it done. All told, we have done in one year what would typically take many years, and we're going to keep going. Like I said, your compassion and resilience of the leadership of this community and the people of this community, the courage of your firefighters, law enforcement officers, first responders who run in danger to save. Okay, so I don't, he says, we're not going home. Who's not going home? He's not going home? I guess he means the people that he sent there to do work or whoever is there. We're not going home until the job is done. And then he says, it won't you won't let this define you, but it will define you in a different way. I don't even know what that means. Is he reading this stuff or is he just mumbling his way through it making it making it up or is he screwing up the script i don't know some of these comments make no no sense and of course accepting no responsibility himself pointing his finger entirely at the the railroad company which does have responsibility and obligations here but he needs to be providing leadership and has in my view, really, and this is my editorial opinion on this, it is, um, he's, he's absolutely failed the people. He's come up way short. It is Donald Trump today um, posting, I don't know if I left it up, I think I took his, I think I took that tab down, but he said that it's an insult to the people of East Palestine for Biden to show up there in fact let's go to the mayor of east palestine here now and uh, and pick up his comments he's coming to the podium and uh yeah here we go here's the mayor of east palestine thank you Alvin, for coming on behalf of the village of east palestine i would i want to welcome president Biden. As we pass the, one, the first anniversary of the train derailment, the village of East Palestine appreciates the support from the US EPA, the Department of Transportation. We'd also like to thank Governor Mike DeWine, the Ohio EPA, the Ohio EMA, and the Department of Public Safety, and all of our state and local partners that have been with us since the beginning. Our village has faced many challenges, but as a community, we have shown resilience. We will not be defined by this single event Rather, our response to it and our perseverance. President Biden, your long-awaited visit to our village today allows us to focus on the things we agree with. Acknowledging this disaster should have never happened. 
address the long-term health concerns and the economic growth of the village and ensure this never happens again to another community. Our goal is to be collaborative and proactive, collectively taking control of what we can shape uh, for a stronger future. This includes support of bipartisan railway legislation, federal tax relief for funds received by Norfolk, so by Norfolk, I'm from Norfolk Southern, sorry, along with your unwavering support and assurances that our long-term concerns and needs will be addressed, which we have expressed here today, sir. We will not stop working, though. We will continuously strive to improve, not relying on just external aid, but on each other and our own efforts to elevate the village. We are committed to seizing every opportunity for growth, enhancing our community's strength, resilience through initiative and perseverance. Here in East Palestine, we are rooted in pride, tradition, and unwavering in our drive for progress and to determine the outcome of any obstacle. I thank you all for coming here today, and God bless East Palestine and the United States. And so ends the news conference with Joe Biden, who sort of hobbles away again. We're going to come back after this, and I'm going to bring you Donald Trump. He uh, he is. I have reaction coming in tonight to the decision by that New York judge that uh, decided to level pretty serious financial penalties and prohibitions against Donald Trump and his family. Now, crippling his ability to do business in New York for at least the next two to three years. Stay with me, more ahead. The New World Order. Government overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now, at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News, the antivirus program for your mind. Okay, I'm back, and yes, we now have Donald Trump here. I've got uh, I've got his reaction to what happened to him in court today in New York. And he is saying that what we witnessed in the courtroom amounts to nothing less than election interference. Here it is. This is what we've got. Uh, but this is a very dishonest man. This is a man that's been overturned already on this case four times. But a crooked New York State judge just ruled that I have to pay a fine of $355 million for having built a perfect company. Uh, great cash, great buildings, great everything. It affects New York. It's mostly talking about New York, where we have a totally corrupt attorney general. She campaigned on the fact that I will get Trump, I will get Trump. Everybody's seen it, Leticia James. They've all seen it. 
Well, we'll be appealing, but more important than that, this is Russia, this is China, this is the same game. All comes out of the DOJ, it all comes out of Biden. It's a witch hunt against his political opponent, the likes of which our country has never seen before. You see it in third world countries, banana republics, but you don't see it here. So I just want to say this. You build a great company. There was no fraud. The banks all got their money, 100%. They love Trump. They testified that Trump is great, great customer, one of our best customers. They testified beautifully. And the judge knows that. He's just a corrupt person. And we knew that from the beginning. We knew it right from the beginning, because he wouldn't give it to the commercial division. This judge thought Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million, and it's worth anywhere from 50 to 100 times that amount. So we realized that. He ruled against me before he even got the case. He ruled against me. He said I was guilty. He didn't know what I was guilty of before he even got the case. And Letitia James, that's another case altogether. She's a horribly corrupt attorney general, and it's all having to do with election interference. There were no victims, because the banks made a lot of money. They made $100 million. And by the way, I paid approximately $300 million in taxes as the migrants come in and they take over New York. I paid over this period of years over $300 million in taxes, and they want me out. Oh, let's see if we can get them out. These are radical left Democrats. They're lunatics, and it's election interfering. So I just want to thank you for being here. Uh, we'll appeal. We'll be successful, I think, because, frankly, if we're not successful, New York State is gone. People are moving out of New York State. And because of this, they're going to move out at a much faster rate. They used a statute. It's a consumer fraud statute that's never been used for a thing like this before. They used it on me because I'm running for president. I'm beating Biden by a lot. We're beating not only the Republicans, we're beating Biden by a lot. The poll came out today, we're up 20 points on Biden. If I weren't running, none of this stuff would have ever happened. None of these lawsuits would have ever happened. Nothing would, I would have had a nice life. But I enjoy this life for a different reason. We're going to make America great again. These are corrupt people. These are people that shouldn't be allowed to do the things they do. And they're using this as weaponization against a political opponent who's up a lot in the polls and always will be because I'm competing with a man who can't put two sentences together, who doesn't know what he's doing. And we're heading into a third world war because of this guy. We have to win this election. They're doing everything possible to step in a way, but we're not going to stand for it. So thank you very much. We will get back to work. Uh, it's a ridiculous award. This is a fine of $355 million for doing a perfect job, for having paid back a loan with no defaults, with no problems. The banks were totally, t you know, at the trial, they testified. We had an expert witness from the Stern School at NYU that made a statement. He, and I was very honored by his statement. He's one of the most respected people anywhere in the country for doing this kind of thing, expert wisdom. He said, this is one of the greatest financial statements I have ever witnessed before. And he talked about even the detail. So my numbers actually were extremely conservative. They saw this. So what the judge did is he brought down certain values like Mar-a-Lago, made it ridiculous. But the expert, after having all of this, testified it's one of the best financial statements he's ever seen. And I was honored by that. But I also knew we have a corrupt judge. He's not a respected man. And again, I said before, he's been overturned on this case by the appellate division 
four times already. It's a record. Nobody's ever been overturned on one case four times. And I think very importantly, and I think ultimately the most important, we've employed tens of thousands of people in New York, and we paid taxes like few other people have ever paid in New York. And they don't care about that. They, it's, a, it's a state that's going bust. It's a state that's going bust because everybody's leaving. And it's all headed up by Biden, who's destroying our country. So this is Russia. This is China. This is what you've been reading about all your lives. And it's happening right here in our country. Thank you very much. We will stop it. We will make America great again. You have my word. Thank you very much. Donald Trump. Stay with me. More right after this. Let's get rid of those pesky Knights of Malta. <laughs> Exile The Knights of Malta Maverick News Join us. The world is watching. Okay, and what I'm going to do now is uh, we're just going to run a little bit of, um, I'm going to switch gears, like literally since the top of the hour. Uh, you know, the Canadian International Auto Show kicks off, opened to the public today in Toronto. So I thought what we would do is I've got this uh, episode of the SSD Car Show queued up and we're going to, uh, we're frozen on Rumble again. I don't know what to do about it, folks. It is uh, sort of beyond my control when Rumble freezes up. Nothing I can do. And I do see it freezing. That's unfortunate. Okay, so it's the top of the hour. And, uh, and we do have, so we're just gonna switch programs. If, uh, if you'd like to stick around, We'll spend the next uh, short while. It's just a short episode, and it gives you a preview of um, what's good. We're going to look at some concept cars, some pretty cool stuff, and uh, also take you for a preview of the Canadian International Auto Show in Toronto. So we'll do that right after this. Feel the vibrations. Our quest continues. The truth is out there. Mavericks. 
Autonomous vehicles under fire, literally. Chrysler has a very cool new electric vehicle concept called the Halcyon, and Aston Martin unveils the all-new Vantage for 2025. I'm Rick Walker. All that and a whole lot more coming up right here on the SST Car Show. SST is brought to you by Super Geeks. Geek out at Super Geeks Superstore. Com, or talk to a real super geek at So late last year, deliveries of Cybertrucks began, but already some owners are expressing concerns about rust spots developing on their Tesla vehicles. So according to these reports, uh, some of these trucks are developing orange spots, specks of rust under certain conditions. And that, of course, is a major concern, especially considering that these are a, a pricey vehicle to purchase. And uh, they are made of stainless steel, so you would think they wouldn't rust. But according to the company that supplies the stainless steel to Tesla to produce the Cybertruck, Mead Metals, company officials say stainless steel can indeed rust under certain conditions, especially, they say, when exposed to Water? Duh. Yeah. <laughs> it takes water, moisture, and oxygen to cause the oxidation to produce rust on metal. And that's what some Cybertruck owners are reporting. So according to the Cybertruck owner's manual, Teslas lack a clear coat on the exterior stainless steel body, as seen in videos posted online. Um, the manual advises immediate removal of any corrosive substances to prevent damage to the exterior. So this is footage from the latest Cybertruck launch or reveal, the newest model. Some people love the design, other people not so much. Me personally, I don't really care for it. In fact, I think it's one of the ugliest vehicles on the road, to be quite honest. Uh, it's just me. I don't like the lines. These cyber trucks look like they could be used as props in the 1980s Battlestar Galactica series, which I loved. Uh, but I don't know. It's uh, even there. While they do look futuristic, they just look clunky to me. The lines don't look finished. I generally like angles and sharp lines in automotive design. But in this case, it's just too backwards wedgy for me but again my personal opinion how will these stand up over time if they are already showing some rust spots now i don't know what to expect from them in areas where salt is used on the road that could be a a real concern for people especially when you're spending the kind of money that they want for one of these tesla cyber trucks so if you do get rust spots, I guess they can be buffed out, but this is definitely something Cybertruck owners will want to keep a very close eye on. 
Some people are simply not happy with autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars. So, evidence of that can be found in this video from San Francisco's Chinatown, where an angry mob assaulted, vandalized a Waymo taxi cab. Waymo is the autonomous driving company uh, that is owned by Alphabet, which is Google. People just let loose on this taxi cab, and it gets worse. And there are reasons why. Look at this guy with the skateboard. Smashing this thing. Not happy with these self-driving cars. Why? Uh, well, accidents. It was about a week ago, there was a cyclist in this area that was hit by a driverless vehicle. So people have safety concerns surrounding them. And now lawmakers in California are calling for tougher regulations to govern self-driving vehicles. There is proposed legislation that would require an actual human being to be behind the wheel of autonomous vehicles of a certain size and weight. That legislation, of course, not passed into law yet. But this particular incident escalated to the point where we got this. They actually set this thing on fire. Look at that. And so politicians who have been pushing for the expansion of or the electrification of automobiles are now taking another look at this because of safety concerns. But I think the discontent with electric vehicles that are autonomously driven goes beyond safety. I think a lot of people are upset to the point where they are actually vandalizing these these vehicles because they see them as a threat to employment. Self-driving vehicles replacing taxi drivers, truck drivers, even people who deliver pizza. Don't go away. SST continues right after these messages. Finally, an affordable brand name hearing solution from Signia, a global leader in hearing aid innovation and super geeks. Tonight's special exclusive offer, get cutting edge medical grade digital technology for just $149. Call 1-866-248-1490. Classic behind the ear design adjustable for mild, moderate, and even severe hearing loss. Traditional controls, so easy to use. Quality assured. From Signia by Siemens. Value from SuperGeeks. Call 1-866-248-1490 or visit supergeeksuperstore.com. Order now. 
Sally hates paying for cable TV, so she got the Super Geeks Super Tana. Sally called 1-866-248-1490 and ordered online at the SuperGeeksSuperstore.com. Now she watches dozens of high-definition TV channels for free. Sally gets all the major networks and specialty channels, even old classic shows. You can too, and save money every month. 100% legal. No more monthly fees. Her picture quality is as good as or better than cable. She even gets channels to cable companies don't offer. Compact enough to mount in your attic or on your balcony and tough enough to mount on your roof. Plus, the Super Tana comes with a video amplifier and wireless remote control. Call 1-866-248-1490. That's 1-866-248-1490. Get smart like Sally and order your Super Tana at supergeeksuperstore.com. Millions suffer from hearing loss. Super Q Hearing Buds from Sound of Life are today's newest solution. Affordable and fashionable. Only you'll know you're wearing a hearing aid. Because these look like modern wireless earbuds. People will think you're using them with a cell phone or to listen to music. But Super Q Hearing Buds are actually high-tech digital hearing amplifiers. The reviews are conclusive. Super Q Hearing Buds are amazing. Recharge quickly, wear all day. Each bud is specially molded for a snug fit. One for the left ear, one for the right. Super Q Hearing Buds. Simple one-tap operation allows easy volume adjustment with digital noise reduction. Call 1-866-248-1490 to order. On sale, half price, just $129.99. Or order online at supergeeksuperstore.com. Order with no risk, quality, and satisfaction guaranteed. You want to know what's really going on? Get to the truth behind the headlines with freedom-focused cutting-edge programs on the all-new Maverick News Channel, The Rick Walker Show, The Freedom Reporters, and The Brandon Kennedy Show, broadcasting online every night from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Or watch anytime, on demand, at maverickneuschannel.com. Go to maverickneuschannel.com and defrag your mind. New freedom-focused journalism grounded in reality for a world that has gone insane. You are watching... Chrysler has unveiled a very cool electric concept. It's called the Halcyon. Now this vehicle, it draws design inspiration from uh, a classic old Chrysler called the Airflow, which was in its day extremely aerodynamic and was considered to be very much ahead of its day in terms of engineering. And that is where Chrysler would like to be again in the future and the not too distant future. In fact, Chrysler is hoping to make big inroads into the EV vehicle world in new ways by 2025 with a whole new lineup of EV vehicles, many of which will draw design and engineering inspiration from the Halcyon. Now, this vehicle apparently will be employing or could employ uh, new charging technology that would allow it to go all the way across the country without ever plugging into 
a charger. With Halcyon, charging in range will never be an issue with its unlimited miles of range, thanks to dynamic inductive charging, which allows for charging via non-contact transfer even while underway. In addition to that, the Halcyon uh, would be equipped with a variety of autonomous driving features, including self-parking. Plus, it also features something called stargazing mode. The heads-up display can map constellations in the night sky, even as you're driving, taking stargazing to a whole new level. Now, some of the tech built into uh, the Halcyon is maybe not science fact today. It is kind of science fiction-y, but it looks like Chrysler is on the cusp of introducing new tech that could be science fact very quickly, maybe even within a year or two. And of course, you don't get all that tech without some sort of a high-tech infotainment system. And in this case, it's highlighted by a 15.6-inch touchscreen um, interface that can be flipped from portrait to landscape. It isn't all new in terms of technology and engineering because the Halcyon also draws engineering inspiration from vehicles like the Chrysler minivan, which uh, has employed stow and go seating. So you're getting some of that design in the Halcyon as well. So the Halcyon obviously is not in production right now. It probably will never go into production as a standalone vehicle, but it does give us an indication of where Chrysler is going in the future with its design and engineering. So look for the tech that is present in the Halcyon and the design cues to show up in future Chrysler vehicles as early as 2025. More power and updated design. Aston Martin has now revealed the new 2025 Aston Martin Vantage. It is, in a word, gorgeous. Check this thing out. It is more muscular in its overall look. And yes, it does have a whole lot more power. So let's talk about that powertrain. It uh, it comes, all the power comes from a hand-built AMG-sourced 4-liter twin-turbo V8. It produces 656 horsepower and 590 pound-feet of torque. That's a major increase, an additional 153 horsepower and an additional 85 pound-feet of torque. With that power, you can now accelerate in the 2025 Aston Martin Vantage uh, from 0 to 60 in just 3.4 seconds and it has a top speed of 202 miles per hour. An incredible piece of engineering. The power flows through a ZF 8-speed automatic transmission. It of course comes with a variety of driver assist uh, features including stability control, e-differential, a whole range of that kind of um, technology is employed here. But it's the quality and the, um, the exclusivity of the Aston Martin that really makes it a car with high appeal. Production of the new 2025 Vantage is beginning with the first deliveries due in the second quarter of this year. Has the Canadian government declared war on cars? 
Well, some people certainly seem to think so, and there is evidence for it. In fact, the federal government has announced uh, a new plan to stop building roads. In fact, it could be the first time, maybe the only time, any government anywhere in the world has ever made such an announcement. Now, to clarify, Canada's Minister of Environment, Stephen Guibault, has indicated that um, the federal government will stop building new roads, but will continue to maintain um, existing highways and byways. Why are they doing this? Well, the Canadian government under Justin Trudeau wants to discourage vehicle use and encourage people to cycle more, uh, snowshoe more, and walk more. When the Prime Minister appointed a radical activist to be the Environment Minister, we knew that this Liberal government would be implementing extreme and divisive policies, but this latest Liberal announcement takes the cake. This may be the first time that any government anywhere at any time has promised to stop building roads, but that's exactly what the Liberals have done. This extreme new policy means that these Liberals are against adding more lanes to the Trans-Canada Highway between Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. Why do the Liberals Liberals want to kill these projects, which will help end gridlock and get people to work. Yeah. The Honourable Parliamentary Secretary. Very interesting, Mr. Speaker. He should have checked the record. It's stunning. As a BCMP, he voted against over $1 million for the 100-mile horse Lokeridden Road Bridge replacement in that province. It's an example of conservative hypocrisy on the other side. On the one hand, they want to stand for infrastructure investment and supporting roads. On the other hand, any time this government has attempted to do that, they voted against it. We'll continue to work with provinces, with municipalities to make that a reality. The Honourable Member from Chilliwack Hope. This radical minister made it very clear that this Liberal government will no longer allow funding to go towards building roads. And it's no surprise that a guy that scaled the CN Tower or climbed on top of a Premier's roof would come up with an extreme policy like building no more roads in this country. Already we're seeing some situations where bridges are falling into disrepair and the federal government is not putting up funds to fix them. The Trudeau government, Trudeau himself, they're tanking in the polls right now and a federal election in Canada could be called as early as sometime this year by 2025 at the latest and at that time we'll see how this goes over with voters in Canada don't go away there is more SST right after these messages finally an affordable brand name hearing solution from Signia, a global leader in hearing aid innovation and super geeks. Tonight's special exclusive offer. Get cutting edge medical grade digital technology for just $149. Call 1-866-248-1490. Classic behind the ear design adjustable for mild, moderate, and even severe hearing loss. Traditional controls, so easy to use. Quality assured. From Signia by Siemens. Value from SuperGeeks. Call 1-866-248-1490 or visit supergeeksuperstore.com. Order now. 
want to know what's really going on? Get to the truth behind the headlines with freedom-focused cutting-edge programs on the all-new Maverick News Channel, The Rick Walker Show, The Freedom Reporters, and The Brandon Kennedy Show. Broadcasting online every night from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Or watch anytime on demand at maverickneuschannel.com. Go to maverickneuschannel.com and defrag your mind. New freedom-focused journalism grounded in reality for a world that has gone insane. Hey, car lovers, rev up your wardrobe. Crafted by Dickies, these long-sleeve shirts are not just stylish, they're a testament to durability. Whether you're at a car show, working hard, or hitting the streets, our shirts provide comfort, ease of movement, and a generous fit. Support independent automotive journalism in style. The SST Car Show logo, embroidered in stunning silver metallic thread on the left breast, makes a tasteful statement. Yours for just $39.99. Order now through Super Geeks at thesupergeeksuperstore.com. Or call 1-866-248-1490. Call now 1-866-248-1490. Join the world's coolest gearheads in style. Get your SST Car Show shirt, where high quality meets high octane. Order your Dickies SST Car Show shirt now. Millions suffer from hearing loss. Super Q Hearing Buds from Sound of Life are today's newest solution. Affordable and fashionable. Only you'll know you're wearing a hearing aid. Because these look like modern wireless earbuds. People will think you're using them with a cell phone or to listen to music. But Super Q Hearing Buds are actually high-tech digital hearing amplifiers. The reviews are conclusive. Super Q Hearing Buds are amazing. Recharge quickly, wear all day. Each bud is specially molded for a snug fit. One for the left ear, one for the right. Super Q Hearing Buds, simple one-tap operation, allows easy volume adjustment with digital noise reduction. Call 1-866-248-1490 to order. On sale, half price, just $129.99. Or order online at supergeeksuperstore.com. Order with no risk, quality, and satisfaction guaranteed. Sally hates paying for cable TV, so she got the Super Geeks Super Tenna. Sally called 1-866-248-1490 and ordered online at the supergeeksuperstore.com. Now she watches dozens of high-definition TV channels for free. Sally gets all the major networks and specialty channels, even old classic shows. You can, too, and save money every month. 100% legal. No more monthly fees. Her picture quality is as good as or better than cable. She even gets channels the cable companies don't offer. Compact enough to mount in your attic or on your balcony and tough enough to mount on your roof. Plus, the Super Tana comes with a video amplifier and wireless remote control. Call 1-866-248-1490. That's 1-866-248-1490. Get smart like Sally and order your Super Tana at supergeekssuperstore.com.
Auto shows are back. The pandemic took a heavy toll on all kinds of public events. Auto shows are no exception, but they are bouncing back. And the Canadian International Auto Show in Toronto is no exception. In fact, this year's event, 45 different manufacturers now being represented, and they have all kinds of other displays as well. I thought we'd take a quick look at their Twitter page to show you some of the highlights from this year's Canadian International Auto Show. You see right off the bat there, we have um, Camp Jeep, where they're driving electric Jeeps inside the building. Uh, they give people an opportunity to test drive EV Jeeps. They also have the Barbie Corvette there, uh, some movie cars, a lot of stuff for kids and yes the rumors are true tesla is there with uh, both their cars and their cyber truck so they have those on display you'll also see a lot of exotic sports cars maserati display there um uh, general motors of course there ford you know all the the, the major manufacturers 45 companies in total and a heavy emphasis on electric vehicles. There's the Cybertruck again, a big draw. I personally think they're, eh, I don't really care for them, but a lot of people get excited about them. And you can see uh, cars being driven in here uh, during the setup into um, the auto exotica area where you're seeing high-end collectible hypercars, supercars on display. A lot of dealerships stepping up and uh, filling the void left empty by manufacturers who still, some of them not coming back um, to auto shows, but in the Toronto area, manufacturers uh, filling in where manufacturers used to have displays, local dealers are coming online and, and providing the displays for this year's uh, Canadian International Auto Show, but mostly it is still a manufacturer-driven show, and there is the uh, the Cobble Beach display in a special room with vintage automobiles, Concour quality, collectible vintage automobiles on display in there, and that is always uh, a major highlight as well. And of course, there's just no getting away from it. It's it's these movie cars, things like this Batmobile Tumbler replica that will also be on display, that always draw the big crowds. People love those movie cars. So if you're in the vicinity, maybe even in Buffalo, it's worth the drive over the border. Take them over to the convention center in downtown Toronto and check out this year's Canadian International Auto Show. Well, friends, it's been a fantastic show. That's all the time we have for this episode of SST. So until next time, I'm Rick Walker reminding you, when you can't get to the car show, we will bring the car show to you online at sstcarshow.com. Thanks for watching. Catch you on the flip side.
Network Multimedia Production. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.